Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. It's a shame that you're going into pub and then they're looking at you then being refused. You're nearly crying out the doors, they. I think that it's inevitable. By 2031, PJ, we will have a cashless society. He was out of it, like, and he kept complimenting me. I didn't even feel safe in my own city. Join the conversation. Call 0818 this is a very uh, auspicious, or you might say, suspicious day in the history of this uh, radio show. Um, I might have mentioned it on Friday. I was a day out, just a day out. It's ten years ago this morning, actually, that I walked in here with a set of headphones, a set of newspapers, a few notes, and if I'm truthful, a rosary beads. Because they'd said, go in there and seek to do that. <laughs> I'm still here, so, so yeah, ten years ago this morning, so what they, call, what they call a soft celebration, which is a nice way to celebrate, because I think, I confirm this, Give me a thumbs up if I'm right there, Emer. I think we have a thousand euro on the word. A grand to be had on the word today. Whoa! So that wouldn't that be a nice way to celebrate uh, 10 years since I walked in here one morning and said, what the hell do I do now? We'll do it after 11. What is the word? Well, um, Simon, Simon started it yesterday. Then Izzy tried it. Then the lads tried it themselves this morning on their own show. No one's got it yet. So maybe someone will get the word after 11. A thousand euro. Be nice, wouldn't it? Be very, very nice. Morning to you. 0818 96 96 96, the number. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. And your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. As I occasionally say, if there's anything we're talking about this morning that you think, hang on, why aren't you talking about this? Well, let us know, won't you? But for now, I want to go right across the Atlantic Ocean to America, to Texas, in fact, and to a man that I hope will be able to stay for the duration of the phone call, that he won't get a message to say he's got to run off. Because... uh, Mark O'Looney is about to become a dad for the second time. Any time now. Ideally, it'll be the weekend, but realistically, it could be any time now. Himself and his husband, Owen Cannon, are to become parents for the second time. Uh, baby on the way, literally within days. Baby born through surrogacy. And yourself and Owen, Mark, you've always wanted kids I know but there's a problem because now that you have kids you can't come home I, I will get to that in a minute but uh, yeah you have always wanted kids haven't you good morning to you yeah absolutely so um, we have been together almost 10 years now um, we met in Ireland um and then I had an opportunity to move to New York about six years ago to do my MBA. And um, Owen said he would come with me. 
Uh, I promised him it would be for a year. Uh, six years later, we're still here. Um, and that is partly just because of starting a family. Um, we realized when we were over here that it was much more attainable from here as opposed to if we were in Ireland. You got married in 2021. And at what point did you start looking down the, the surrogacy route? How does it work over there? So we got married um, in 2021, finally. We were one of them couples that uh, the pandemic hit when our wedding was planned and it just, we kept pushing it out. Uh, so we eventually decided to just um, go ahead with it. Um, and as part of that, actually, we had, because we had pushed it out so many times, we said we should just move ahead with kids because we were planning to wait until after our wedding originally. And then we said, well, what's stopping us really? So we started moving ahead with it. So we did a lot of research. It's actually um, an organization over here called Men Having Babies who basically explain how to go through it in layman's terms, um, which was great because we, we knew nothing about surrogacy starting. So we did what's called an independent journey, which means we didn't have an agency involved. And the main benefit to that for independent parents is that um, it's much cheaper because you're not paying someone to do all the work. So we um, contacted our own IVF clinic and they basically um, started off by giving us a list of egg donors. Um, one of our main criteria for that was that they would be known so that um, our children would forever know uh, who their egg donor was. And if they ever wanted to meet her, uh, she was available to them. So that was really important to us. There was other criteria in terms of health and so on. The person we went with is incredible. Uh, her grandmother is still alive at like 100. So it was things like that that you go, OK, so this is the right choice and we met her and she was wonderful and we went ahead with that so then we had created embryos half of them were genetically mine half of them were genetically owns okay i was about to ask you that actually uh, who donated the sperm you both did yeah we both did there was 22 eggs uh, originally um we ended up with nine embryos in the end for pregnancy the next step was finding a surrogate um, because the surrogate is uh, separate to the egg donor. So the surrogate is not genetically related to our child, but she carried our children. So the, the egg came from one donor. You and Owen donated the sperm. And when the embryos were viable, somebody else carried the child. Yes, exactly. Okay. So we did that purposely. There is a traditional surrogacy as well, but this is more regulated over here, which is called gestational surrogacy, where the carrier is not related to uh, the child in any way. We were incredibly fortunate that we found Haley through Facebook, actually. Instantly when we spoke to her, she was just such a wonderful person and she kept saying y'all's baby. She had actually done, so she had um, had two children of her own and she had done a surrogacy journey herself already um, and it was successful and everything went great and she just really wanted to help a family. What we loved about her actually was specifically she wanted to help gay families because she had... Um, queer people in her family and she just thought it was really important to help people who couldn't go through uh, parenthood any other way. So Aria was born when? 2022? 
Yes, June 2022. Okay, and now in the next few days, there's a second baby coming. Is it the same arrangement? Yes. Yeah, so actually, um, when he, uh, when Ari was born, um, Haley turned to us afterwards and just said, I've had the most incredible journey. Um, you guys are like some of my closest friends after this. I would love to do it. I know you want to have more children. I would love to go again with you if you would want that. And obviously, we jumped at that. We have such an incredible connection with Haley. We went for dinner with her and her entire family yesterday. It was just so wonderful. Like we love her kids. Um, she kind of, the way we, she describes her relationship with Ari is she's almost like a bonus aunt. <laughs> um, so while she's not genetically related, they have a connection and it's wonderful because she carried her obviously. And you're in Texas at the moment. You're speaking to me from Texas because the baby will be born in, in the next few days. Now let's come to the, to the issue of bringing your little family home, Mark. That's legally, it's, is it impossible or just extraordinarily difficult to come home to Ireland? So I, don't, I wouldn't say it's impossible. Nothing's impossible. The Irish government, essentially what happens now is on the birth cert in the US, my name is on it and Owen's name is on it. So we are both fully recognized as the parents over here. When we get home, if we were actually a straight couple, the Irish government would just recognize that birth cert and take it as is because it's a proper birth cert. They just would take it and go, okay, so they wouldn't ask us any questions. The birth cert has you as the parents and that's all that matters in the States. And that's all that matters in the States because in the States, there's some, like, legally, if the child ever wants to know, all the information is there. Um, so it's, it's just not on the birth cert. It's on a different, uh, place. So they put the parents on the reg, uh, on the birth cert. So when we get back to Ireland, then that's not recognized. So what the Irish government says is, well, look, you both couldn't be the parents. So one of you needs to do a genetic test. If we took that genetic test, one of us could be recognized, the genetic parent. And then the other parent, can't be recognized till the child is two as it stands and you can go to court and get guardianship and that would only be from the age of two to 18. You can't be recognized as the parents. One of, is, no, is that we right? both can't. You both can't. Yeah, and one, of you can. one of yes. you can. One of us can um, and in which case the other one would never be fully recognized and it puts our child at risk for just many situations. Like there then becomes things of passing on things to your children and the tax implications and everything. There's so many issues with not being recognized. Now there is a legislation at the moment going very slowly through the houses of the Iraqis, the assisted human reproduction bill is that, if it ever becomes law, is that going to help you guys? It won't specifically help us based on what I've read from it and based on my conversations uh, with the government at the moment. Um, and that's because we had done our surrogacy outside of Ireland. If we had done our surrogacy from being in Ireland and met the rest of the... Because we meet all the other criteria they spell out. So that's just one, the reason why we're not recognized is because specifically we did it away from home. Oh, so, so, so if you had been here and say married under Irish law and then went and had surrogacy outside the country, we could work our way through this, so to speak. But because Aria and your next child will have been born outside of Ireland, Ireland doesn't want to know. Is that, is that what I'm, am I summing it up? So... The marriage piece, wherever we were married, they recognized. So that's okay. 
It's more that when we, if we had been living in Ireland on the day we started our journey and signed contracts, they would recognize it. It's, there's a rule about residency, being resident in Ireland. So, and that is if the AHR bill goes through, there are going to be so many more families recognized, which truly is incredible. And the work the government have done on it is Trojan. And I recognize that. But there are just families like mine who have lived away for a couple of years and want to come home. And the problem with coming home is they don't have any clause or amendment in there to say, if you've lived away, how they recognize them birth certs or how they recognize them journeys or how they check it out. Because in terms of their other criteria that they've set out to make sure it's a safe and ethical journey, we've met all of that. The only thing we don't meet is the residency requirement. I see. see. So you weren't, but you weren't living here at the time you began your journey, but you're both citizens, Mark. It shouldn't make a difference. That's crazy to me. Yeah, exactly. So I said this to Minister Donnelly, we had a meeting in December and he said, you would be covered from a government and policy perspective, you would be covered. And I said, well, look, I will make sure of that. So when I saw the amendments, um, I think it was about two weeks ago now, I was kind of shocked to not see it included. For listeners, again, just keeping it as simple as we can, Mark, you weren't living here at the time, which is why your little family doesn't get recognised in Irish law, even though you and Owen are both citizens. I think what's actually hardest for me is my brother lives over here and he's married to an American and has five kids. And he came back with his birth certs and all his five kids got passports instantly and were recognized. Whereas I have to go through these extra steps, even though we're both Irish citizens, um, just because we're gay and started our family differently. So you and Owen are a married couple, but your little girl, Aria, and the child arriving on the 24th February they're not recognised in Irish law and don't get an Irish passport. But your brother, who's a straight man, married in the States, his five kids are automatically recognised and entitled to Irish passports. Exactly. That, that sums it up, I think, better than the rest of our conversation put together. Yeah, it's look, it's tough, but um, we will get there eventually. Um, the, the way I kind of look at it was when I was born, being gay wasn't um, t- recognised. When were you born? At 1992, I think it was the year actually uh, being gay was legalised. Uh, it was either that or 1993, yeah. So when you were born, being gay was illegal. Now you can get married. That's great. You're just hoping this will be the next, and it would be the next logic. If your brother's children are entitled to an Irish passport, then surely your children should be entitled to an Irish passport. Exactly. And that's all we hope for is that our children are protected. It's it's less about us. It's more about making sure that in every scenario that could possibly occur, because we all know life happens and multiple things can happen, that our children are protected in all of them scenarios. Okay. Mark, there's a few days to go to the birth. How are things, lastly? Do you know, it's just so incredible to be here again. Um, so we're actually in Lubbock, Texas. Um, it's not the most well-known place in Texas, but uh, it's just wonderful to spend some time with our surrogate Haley and her family and just get to um, turn off for a few days before it all happens. Um, and it could happen any minute now. So uh, <laughs> we're so excited. The best of luck to all of you, Mark, and our kindest regards from Cork. Take care now. Perfect. Thank you so much. 
You're welcome. Cheers to guest luck. Please pass on our best regards as well to Owen and, and indeed to uh, to Heather. That's great. Haley, brother. Uh, yeah. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. The number text to WhatsApp. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Interesting story that her, his brother can have all of his children registered here and have passports here without a question because he's a straight man but because Owen and Mark are gay and their children are born through surrogacy they can't be registered here and this new law that is going through the Oireachtas at the pace of a backwards funeral may or may not deal with that in the fullness of time it's interesting 0818969696 yes Tom you're correct and I'll talk more about it if people want to we're coming up to the time of the year when ministers, their families and their officials go abroad for St. Patrick's Day. I have two questions. Who sets the limit for each entourage, especially the family bit? And is there any performance review on what jobs were created, what business was brought home, etc.? The second one, Tom, I think there have been some reviews done over the years. Uh, I couldn't put my hand on anyone quickly, but I, I think there have been. Do you think there should be at least... With regard to putting limits on it, I see where this year they've been told when they're making their bookings, go easy now on the first-class flights and let us not have any five-star suites. They, they have been told to go, to, to go easy. Um, but to go through where they're going again, Patrick's Day, of course, is what, is it three weeks now? And where they're going again, Leo is off to USA, of course, Washington, Boston, and include the White House. Michal is headed for Canada. Vancouver, Ottawa and Toronto. Eamon Ryan is going to Brazil. He hasn't told us yet whether he's cycling or not. Michael McGrath headed for China. Pascal Donahue for France and Bulgaria. Simon Coveney for India and Bangladesh. Norma Foley, the Minister for Education, is headed for Edinburgh, Cardiff, Manchester and London. The Minister for the Media, Catherine Martin, is headed for Nashville. Uh, Dara O'Brien, the Housing Minister for South Africa and Zambia. I wonder what he learned there about his job. Heather Humphreys, headed for Springfield, Chicago and Madison County. Charlie McConnellogue, Minister for Agriculture, is headed off to Kenya, Ethiopia and South Sudan. Rodrigo Gorman is headed for Japan. Stephen Donnelly for Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Canberra, Melbourne and Sydney in Australia. That's like travelling across a whole continent. In the space of a few days, Simon Harris is headed for London. Helen McEntee is going to New York. There's a whole long list of ministers for state that are headed here, there and everywhere. Um, Jerry Bodimer, Cahirlick of the Shannon, is headed for San Francisco and Seattle. The Count Corla of the Dáil is headed for Spain and Portugal. And for some bizarre reason best known to our legislators, the Attorney General gets a trip. Rossa Fanning is going to Washington and Boston. And by the look of the list, I said this to you before, the only person left to run the country for that couple of days would be the cleaner in Leinster House, who God knows might do a better job. John says Eamon Ryan and his crew aren't too worried about the environment, seeing as they can head off on these trips. Would they ever take a, a one-way ticket? Look, let's be truthful about this. This is an opportunity that probably no other country in the world has on its national day to send all of our most senior politicians to the four corners of the world to meet the Irish communities 
in the four corners of the world and hopefully some business and some profit and some work for the country and some jobs come back and investment comes. Hopefully all that happens. But in fairness, there's nobody left. Who's running the shagging country? Who is running the country for the sake of those few days? And how much are we paying for? And how much are the other countries paying for? Because I know if, if, you know, if you issue an invitation to someone to come here, you pay for it. So if our ministers are being invited to go to the four corners of the world, uh, how much are they paying for, the inviters? And how much are we paying for? And Kate is wondering, do their partners go as well? Which is an excellent question, Kate. The answer to which, I don't know what the policy is. I'm sure some partners have travelled over the years. I do know of one politician who brought his partner a few years ago and made it very clear that the partner had paid extra. It was extra and the family paid for it. Yeah, so there. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's not going to stop anyway, no matter how much we, we question it. But I just think, like, that's a some list. That is some list. Like Every single one of them. Every last one of them is headed for some part of the world for St. Patrick's Day, leaving the cleaner in Leinster House to, to run the country, I would have thought. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurniturecentre.ie Corks 96 FM now, Stephen Donnelly, as you heard on that list, is is going on a tour of Australia over the few days around St. Patrick's Day. He is headed for Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Canberra, Melbourne and Sydney. He'd be knocking up quite a few air miles in the course of that trip. You'd wonder, will he learn anything about how to improve or be told anything about how to improve our emergency departments and how to improve our waiting lists, I see in the paper today, this is shocking, another inquiry has now been launched into the sudden death of a teenager at University Hospital Limerick three weeks ago. This happened on the 29th of January. She was 16, she was admitted with breathing difficulties and then tragically later that night, having first of all been moved out of the resuscitation area because she had responded to treatment, to be fair, she then got into difficulties again and by the time they got her back into resource, the poor child was too far gone and she died, literally died in her mother's arms, if you're to believe what you read in the papers. And that follows on from the death of Aoife Johnston, who died last year after waiting 12 hours on a trolley. This story is covered in the Irish Independent, which states that on the 29th of January, this is according to Trolley Watch figures, UHL was by far the busiest hospital in the country. I'll come to that in a second, but new figures which have been obtained by Sinn Féin here in Cork, now said that more than 14,000 people had their hospital appointments cancelled in Cork hospitals in the first nine months of 2023. The numbers only go up to uh, the first nine months of the year. These uh, figures handed over to Sinn Féin. In CUH, the number of cancellations was actually down. They were up in the Mercy and they went through the roof in Mallow nearly nearly 200% increase in Mallow, Sinn Féin TD, Thomas Gould. Tom, I think it was you got those figures as a result of a parliamentary question. What do they tell you? Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. And listen, just uh, I suppose to, to touch on base about uh, another tra- tragedy in Limerick, and it's just it's unbelievable um, that another 16-year-old child has lost their life while waiting in A&E, and it, it's just it's horrific to think, and like anyone there, like if. It's just, it's unbelievable, PJ. And mm. when you read what happened, the mother was crying out for help, but they were just so overcrowded. Mm. And here, she was brought in with breathing difficulties, according to the papers anyway. She was brought in with breathing difficulties. They got her into resource straight away, as they will if you have breathing difficulties immediately. Got her in, got it under control, got her back out onto a trolley or onto, in, into the corridor waiting waiting for further treatment. And then she got into difficulties again. And by the time they could get her back into recess, it was too late. That seems to be the sequence. And what, you see, PJ, and I don't want to be, um, I want to be respectful to this child and her family, but what the experts, the medical experts are saying who work in emergency medicine, and they have been telling the government for the last couple of years is, Severe overcrowding and accident emergency, along with staff shortages, are leading to deaths. And that's like Paddock Gilligan made that case last year, and he's an expert in emergency uh, mm-hmm. medic- medicine. I'm familiar with that. And, like, and the thing about it, we know, and, and PJ, can I just say this? I, I was sick myself before Christmas, right? Um, and I was on the trolley for hours, but I would say the staff. The frontline doctors, nurses, healthcare, uh, war, um, caterers, mm. admin. Mm. They, they were Every single last one of them faultless. There's just not enough of them. And PJ, that's the thing. And it's really unfair when you have workers who are at the pin of their collar under constant pressure, constant stress. And then when you hear, and like, and PJ, this ties into the, the, the PQ that we got back about cancellations. If P, if, if people's appointments are being cancelled or if people's operations are, are being cancelled or their scopes are being cancelled mm-hmm. or whatever it is, that means then you're having a delay in detection of what of how severe a person's case can be. Mm-hmm. And that leads then to people ending up being a and who does. should have never been there in the first place. Of course it does. It's exactly what the likes of Chris Luke have been saying for years. That that's that's what happens. But the thing about it is, Tom, our problem is in staffing. Our problem is in keeping the staff because it's a part kind of of being coming a doctor, especially and certainly more and more so these days, becoming a now a nurse. Part of your if you like progression is you go away for a little while. The difference is this time, these days they're not coming back. So how do we get them A to stay if they're of a mind to stay and B to come back when they go for a bit? How do we do that? Well, the, the number one thing, anyway, is all these uh, nurses, doctors, healthcare professional therapists should be offered contracts, and they should know that when they graduate, they go straight into jobs. And th- this was the delay with the HSC, the bureaucracy, applications, all that. Are you, are you saying uh, that when they come out of their college now with their degree and they've done their rotation in the hospitals, which they have to do for... A period of time. Are you saying there aren't automatically jobs there for them? Because there's so many vacancies in the hospitals now. I find that hard to believe, Tom. PJ, there's actually an embargo on recruitment at the moment. There is. Does, there like, there, 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 there yeah. is. So you're saying that they're not, that, that embargo, but does that exist at the level of a, a young doctor or a young nurse can't get their first job? 
Yes, it's the, the embargo at the moment now is preventing people being hired. I'm talking to, I was in the hospital, I, I'm regularly out there now for, for repeat visits and checkups, and like people are telling me, PJ, what we know for a fact, the HSC are hiring consultants firms, right, coming in. Uh, private operators instead of hiring more doctors, more nurses. And PJ, the other big issue here is the elective hospital. If we had the elective hospital, that was promised. Mm-hmm. Like I, I asked a question last April, when will the elective hospital for Cork be ready? And I was told the end of 2025. Yeah. And I asked the question again at the end of the year, and I was told 2027. Yeah. No, that went out two years and six yeah. months. Col- right? Colin Bork is saying, though, and he to be Fine Gael spokesman on health and indeed your constituency colleague there in Cork North Central Colin Bork is saying look it's not just a matter of opening the hospital you need staff and we don't have staff yeah, but no disrespect to Colm now, right? Colm is criticising the government while he's still a member. Ah, yeah, of the we government. know that. We know that. Yeah, yeah but like Stephen Donnelly's the minister. If Colm is worried about staffing and ending the recruitment ban, he should talk to the, ta- t- the Taoiseach and tell the Minister for Health to take him on. Mm. No, PJ can A suggestion this? has been made, Tom, and I wonder what you think of this, because this yeah. came up last week when we discussed this again. I've brought it up with the likes of, of Chris Luke over the years. And no disrespect to yourself or any other politician, when I want sort of guidance on what to do with emergency departments around the country, yeah, I'm going to go 100%. to someone like Chris Luke. But, but what, Who's an what, expert. Absolutely. But what about this suggestion, Tom, that when someone comes out of college, having gone through a medical degree or gone through a nursing degree, that not only would we, would we make a job available for them, but we would compel them to stay for 10 years to give back what has been invested in them by the taxpayer as they went through the education system? You see, PJ, we have doctors and nurses and therapists who will stay here if they're offered jobs. Like, I put it this way, Chris Luco, and to be fair, I respect the guy, he's a re- he really knows what he's talking about. Right now, there's an embargo on the HSE hiring staff. There is. So... So how could we guarantee people their places? And PJ, I, I, no, no, no. I, I the the point I'm making is, would you be interested in, in that idea? Is it something that you'd be interested in? That look, not only young, young Dr. John Murphy or young nurse Mary O'Sullivan or young doctor whatever comes out and said, right, I've done my two years. Uh, I'm, I'm, re- I'm headed for Australia now. And the HSE says, actually, there's a job there for you for the next five, ten years. Do you want that job? But PJ, if you're a young doctor coming out newly qualified and you have a choice of going out and working in an accident and emergency for 60, 70 and 80 hours a week, like it does reports out now about the severe overcrowding. Yeah, but if enough, of, if enough of them stayed around, Thomas, but, if enough of them stayed around, they wouldn't no, need PJ, to be working 60, no, no, 70 and 80 hours a week. No, no, that's not the issue. They've always abused young doctors, new trainee doctors. The HSC, this is a fact that's gone back years. Yes. So you're a young doctor, you're qualified. You have a choice to go to Australia or America and doing maybe 35 hours a week on top pay, great conditions, mm. where you're not overworked and you're not stressed. Yeah. Or you can stay in the HSC here and be in the front line in A&E under constant pressure. Like what? Like... Oh yeah, that's that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. You're right. The doctors and nurses. So, so how do we solve this? Like Stephen Donnelly has gone to Australia for, or going to Australia for Patrick's Day, which has one of the, if you to believe people you talk to over there, one of the best public healthcare systems in the world. What what should he be looking for over there? 
Well, Pisa, we're not even going over there. Do you, do you know what the one thing people can find? Like, nurses and staff were telling me up in the hospital while I was up there, they were asking me questions. They can't find anywhere to live. There's yeah. nurses, no, and there's nurses and therapists and uh, other professional, healthcare professionals can't find anywhere to live. So the first thing that we need to do is make sure they get it, they know they have a job when they graduate and also provide or find or source accommodation for them. PJ, I remember being on with you, I'd say, 2016, we were talking about the time the St. Kevin's Hospital burnt down. I remember. And at the time, I went to Cox City Council, you were a reporter in there, and I asked the HSC, Cox City Council, UCC and MTU to come together to develop that whole site for student accommodation, for healthcare professionals, So and also to have a hub there for homeless people. And it didn't right, happen. That we could, it's a, within 10 minutes to the hospital, PJ. And there you have them. I know, I know they're doing some development. Yeah. But you have a massive site there. Why are we building houses for people? And that will help keep people. Well, well one of the reasons, one of the reasons, Tom, why we're not, as you say, building houses for people, and I don't think anybody would object to, we haven't got workers. They're all gone abroad as well. Or they're not doing apprenticeships anymore. Well, PJ, can I say this now? And I, I have to be. I know uh, a lecturer from a university told me he was uh, 16 tradesmen qualified last May, and 15 of them immigrated. I don't want to say it's the, the professional. No, don't, don't. It doesn't matter. Fight, it doesn't right? matter. That's out of out of yeah. a class of 16, 15 of them 15 immigrated. immigrated. While there is plenty and, work here. Yeah, and I was talking actually last night to some guys in the building line, and they were telling me. One guy said to me, he's nearly 60 years old, he said, Tommy, I'm not able for working. I just want to do 39 hours a week and call it a day. But he said, we have no young people. Yeah. But the reason is, PJ, if you start off as an apprentice, I think you're going to start off at 8.50 an hour, you'll get more than super value on McDonald's yeah. or Dunn's But apprenticeships, anywhere. Tom, apprenticeships, and you're around as long as I'm around. Yeah. Apprenticeships was always, for the first two years, it was always grunt work. If you wanted to be a carpenter, but a plumber, Peter, a painter, it was always just, going to work. Yes, but the difference now is we're a full employment. And if you're a young boy or girl who's 17, 18, 19 years of age, you have a choice. You can go to America, Australia, you can work in a factory or an office here. Like, like we need to incentivize more young people okay. to get into trades. And PJ, the other thing is... People are contacting me every week saying they can't finish their time because they're waiting this to go to college. I had one father who contacted me from Dublin Hill. His son was going to have to go to Dublin for three months. Now, number one is who was going to pay for the accommodation in Dublin? And number two, he couldn't get into accommodation. And because of that, he couldn't finish his electricity. Or he was an, electri- uh, an apprentice electrician. So, like... This is the stuff, this, this, this is bread and butter issues that the government should be dealing so with. So how would you fix it, Thomas? If you, I mean, there's a, there'll be an election. By this time next year, by this time next year, constitutionally, we have to have had a general election. How will you fix it if you're there? Well, PJ, you, you sort out the simple things first, right? MTO outside and the ETV are doing great work with apprentices. But I met with MTO last year. They're full to capacity. First thing I would do was increase their capacity. I actually asked the minister, MTU, about setting up a Northside campus for the training of apprenticeships across all the different professions and have it based here so people 
get and also then increasing the amount of money you pay apprentices to encourage them to come into okay. trades. Okay. And the other thing, PJ, is covering more women to get into trades because we, if we could increase the amount of women coming in, plus incentive for young more people okay. to get involved. Okay. That, 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 might, that might help us get more trades. Someone's coming back to a question. John is coming back to a question that I actually don't think you answered. Um, is Thomas okay with the taxpayer training up doctors at great expense because of all they pay is the registration fee, and then they move on to another country? How would Thomas Gould feel about a requirement to work in the Irish public health system for a number of years after graduation? How would you feel about that? Well, PJ, I think it's really important that doctors travel, and i tell you why. Um, so you would but, not want them to uh, work no, for a just number of years. Yeah. I have a case where a person was wrongly diagnosed here in Ireland, right? And when the new specialist came, there was a new specialist appointed. He had trained in France and Canada. Yeah. And straight away, after 10 minutes of seeing the child, he... Um, identified fully the understood, John. But that's a or Thomas. But that's a consultant. John do, is asking the question: When the no, young doctors the, the qualify, has, can we not? Would would you not? How would you feel about making them give five to ten years to the system and then go wherever you want to go? But PJ, this doctor said, wouldn't have wouldn't have been trained. Because he wouldn't have identified that problem. It was the training he got in France and Canada, plus the training in Ireland. So it's really important for doctors to travel to gain experience. My issue here is we need to give doctors proper times, proper working conditions. Like, PJ, put it this way, the more... Hold on a while. Now, you see, there's a thing. If you had... The, uh, if you had an agreement that we're, we're going to put you through college, all it's going to cost you is three grand a year registration fee or whatever that is now. And I'm talking about, not talking about the people who are covered, pay full fees, as many do, but for those people, you go into the public sector then, and in order to repay the taxpayers' uh, investment in you, you're going to give us five years, maybe ten years. What's wrong with that? Well, Peter, you know, if, do you know what will happen then? then people will stop going to a medicine and they'll do law or they'll do uh, accountancy or they'll do uh, other courses, right? We need to encourage them. See, Tom, I don't agree with you there. I don't agree with you. I'll tell you why I don't agree. And this is deeply personal to me. There was a time in my life that I wanted to be a doctor. I didn't make it into the system. But there's a time in my life that I wanted to be a doctor. And if I could have got in that door, damn all would have stopped me. Well, PJ, they say doctors require a certain level of training, right? They do. Like, I, I was talking to doctors out there. Becoming a doctor is in four years. You could be te- you could be ten years before you're fully qualified. Absolutely. You do about so seven. You do a year in college, then you do six more years on top of that. Then you do two years grunting around hospital departments. Then you're a baby doctor. It takes an awful long time. That's true. And PJ, what we want to do is encourage these doctors to stay. Like, I'll, it, I'll give you a simple thing, right? Um, at the moment, if, you're, if you want to become a GP, you have to work for yourself. It's a business. Yes. What we've asked the HSE to do now is that, let's say you're a newly qualified doctor, you've done everything, you're ready to go. The HSE, we had a situation... We'll employ you. We'll, I'd agree with and you there completely. The situation apparently where we had a surgery and nurses Remember and administration it? staff and the only thing we were short was a doctor and no doctor would go in there and the doctor who left told me the reason she left 
is you could get no holiday cover from the HSE yeah. and no sick no, no, cover. That, that, yeah, I think, you're, you're, I think there's a lot of doctors would agree with you on that and a lot of GPs would agree with you on that. Working for yourself is part of the problem. Tom, I'm going to leave it there for no reason other than time. It's been a more broad reading conversation than I thought it would be. But Thomas Gould of uh, Sinn Féin Cork North Central. Delays in the system, delays in ED, people emigrating and can't keep them here. Uh, Paul Paul says, I think Tommy should pay a, a visit to MTU because they have a huge extension, nearly finished. Kate says many of the doctors taken on earlier on are Indian and Pakistani doctors. There's no incentive or requirement for those trained here to stay here. There's the problem. Does anybody... There's, just Let's have, throw that out there for, for the morning that is in it, now that we've started it. So... The profession of doctor is a very noble and honourable profession and unless you're one of these categories that pays the full fees it, you can you can qualify as a doctor for three grand a year. Do you think then that the people who qualify for that amount of money should be should go into the system where we need them for five or six years? And I liken it to the Army or the Air Corps. The Air Corps will train you as a pilot. Make a damn fine pilot out of you. Then you have to give them a number of years before you can use that qualification anywhere else. How would you feel about that for our young trainee doctors and indeed our nurses? Oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Thanks, Tom. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool for sofas, beds, kitchen, dining, and mattresses. Over forty five years in business. Thefurnituresecenter.ie. Cox ninety six FM. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Kinsale Tennis Club will be hosting a fundraising table quiz on Friday the 23rd of February at Acton's Hotel Kinsale at 7pm. Teams of four and funds raised will go towards the Enjoy Tennis programme. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Just have a thought on that. At the time, it's many, many years ago now, that I wanted to be a doctor if someone had said to me, at the end of your training, PJ, you'll have to give five or ten years to the public service here, I don't think I'd have minded. I really don't think I'd have. I think I'd probably have grabbed the opportunity back then. And if you go into the Air Corps and train as a pilot, then you have to give them a certain period of time. Back to health issues on the ground, though, and RSV, which we discovered yesterday through Pat, it's not just a children's illness. In fact, the HSE brought out a a, a set of figures in the last few days. I think 48% of those diagnosed with RSV since the start of the year have been adults. D, you got it. Are you still in trouble? I am, just like five, six weeks down the road now and I'm still cough. Really? And I have a terrible cough, but the the bad part is gone. I had COVID in 2022 and it wasn't nothing compared to this. Really? When did you get sick? Oh, this started January, and I was so ill, I couldn't even look after the dog, I had to get her minded. Great. I couldn't even pick her up, I was so weak. They wanted to put me in hospital, but I escaped that, thank God. What were your symptoms? I uh, um, couldn't breathe, uh, pain in my lungs, pain in my head, my sinuses were all blocked up. Oh, it was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Wow. So I was on 12 days antibiotics, 12 days steroids. Four times the day I was on the nebulizer, and then I had to get another six days of steroids. And after all that, it's still not, it's not quite gone. 
Right, this I is the twenty. This is the twentieth of February now. So, you, are you sick? Are you sick a month? More, but it's a six weeks now. Six weeks, good lord! I've heard some people it takes five or six weeks to get rid of. Yeah, yeah. But um, and when did you I have the COVID? This afternoon, COVID twenty twenty two. And how long did that take you to shift? I, I was not running out there, nobody could get out of here. There was nothing. I just a runny nose and a cough. That was it. Yeah, yeah. It's like when I, I got it so myself. Lucky. Yeah. Because yeah. I was terrified over my asthma. You know that if I got it, it'd be bad. Yeah. But thank God it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Mm-hmm. It was horrific. This thing is the worst thing I've ever experienced in my were life. You, were you in the bed? Oh, I was. I couldn't move. Okay. I was so weak, and I was in constant pain. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was awful. And, and absolutely awful. What Pat said yesterday, she would have thought that it was something only children get. Did you think I that? I know. I. I don't know. To be honest, I'd never heard of it before. This. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so, <laughs> you're oh even, my goodness. You're, you're out of breath now, weren't you? I know, I just came up the stairs. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, that's that. That's... I know, I'm going to the doctor this afternoon, so I'll say it to her. Okay, yeah, do. Because if, if you're still out of breath coming up the stairs. I know, and I'm about to take my inhaler and everything. You probably <laughs> need to go back. Dee, listen, good luck with that. Good luck with that. I wish you an improved improved health. Quickly enough, that's D. Uh, that's our second adult RSV sufferer in two days, both of whom have been bunched for a month to six weeks. Pat yesterday and D today, and you can see she came upstairs to to talk to me, and between the walk up the stairs and a couple of minutes on the phone, she's out of breath. Good Lord. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. That's RSV. It's not just for kids, you know. John says, um, with regard to Thomas Gould, what a performance. So basically he's saying if the salaries were high enough, he'd have no problem with all the consultants leaving and no one left for Ireland. There has to be a quid pro quo for all the education they get. So you're making the point, John, that when we train you in the public system here, you should have to give five to ten years as a doctor or a nurse in the public system. Because you, you could argue, couldn't you? Let the same be said for engineers of, of certain types that are needed in the system. For example, we need so much public building work done in this country that if we train you in the public system to be a, a civil engineer or if we subsidise your apprenticeship, that you go and you work on public housing systems and public housing building and all that kind of thing. So yeah, there's, there's now to be said for if the taxpayer is subsidising your third level education, should you or should you not have to give back a few years to the public sector? It's a broader discussion. Happy to have it. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurniturecentre.ie Coach 96 FM The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM. After 11, the word is back. And I have a thousand euro in the pot. On the word, 
between 11 and 12. This has been running since yesterday. No one's guessed the blanked out word just yet. So it goes to a thousand euro between 11 and 12 today. I'll let you know what you need to do to play the word our new big money competition on Cork's 96 FM. Nice that we have a grand in the pot this morning because as I mentioned earlier on, it's uh, 10 years ago today that I wandered in here with the day's newspapers, notes, ideas and, and not a clue what to do. And we're still here, so we're doing something right, which is good. CW, thank you. CW says, congrats on 10 years. I met you and the late Frank O'Brien many times at Munster matches in the good old days. Ah, for goodness sake, CW. Poor old Frank has gone now since 2009. And I'll tell you this, from that day to this, much as I love it, and you know I do, I never stop talking about how much I love the rugby. Watching a match has never been the same without my old pal Frank sitting beside me roaring like an idiot I, I I always remember those days thank you CW for that lovely lovely memory 0818 96 96 96 the number of the text or whatsapp 083 396 96 96 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie to whether or not doctors should stay here or go abroad this has just emerged out of my conversation with uh, Thomas Gould and probably a bit mischievous of me because I wanted to start this conversation among listeners because when you go through medical school in Ireland if you're now if you're not one of the many categories that pay the full fees you pay very little to become a doctor in this country relatively speaking now relatively speaking all right before you come down on me like a ton of flipping bricks relatively speaking and should you have to give a certain amount of time back to the country after that by working in the public system. I was comparing it with, say, the Air Corps, who will take a young buck of a soldier, train them, turn them into a damn fine pilot of aircraft of any kind, helicopters, small planes, big planes, cargo planes. Then you've got to give a couple of years back to the army for that. They'll train you as any number of things in the army and you have to give back a number of years to the army uh, as a, in return for that, Antonis, uh, are you are you for that or against that? The idea that a doctor trained in the system here would have to give a few years back. Good morning. Well, in my opinion, it really wouldn't make much of a difference for in Casey's case, anyway. Right. Because she's nearly fourteen years waiting on her surgery for on her hip. Yes. And every doctor we've seen who have been here. Well, before Katie got her diagnosis of hip dysplasia and everything else, they're doctors in the system. All those years, she's 17 years now in the system. And not one of them is qualified to operate on her. Yeah. So you say, you know, stay here, do your time. What's the point in them doing their time when they turn around and tell a 17-year-old child, I'm not qualified to operate on you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're always going to have you know, a circumstance where the best in the business may not be here, Antoinette. You are always going to have that, no matter what country you're in. Yeah, but surely to God, like, after 17 years, mm. a doctor knows this child. They, they know her inside out at this stage. They do, yeah, literally. And every one of them is telling me exactly the same thing. We can't operate on her. If we do, we'll put her back in our wheelchair. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, it's so, so frustrating. Like I, We should probably bring people up to speed a little bit. Katie needs hip surgery, has needed it for quite a number of years. The doctors here are telling you that if she has it, 
she'll end up in a wheelchair. There's one doctor in America can do it and says I can do it and she'll walk after it, um, but it'll cost 300 grand to get that treatment. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, no, does that, does that sum like, it up? It does sum it up, yeah, basically. Yeah. You know me too well. <laughs> yeah, just for people um, who wouldn't be familiar, do you know? Um, yeah, she needs surgery. She need, it, it, The doctors here are saying either we can't do it or if we do it, she'll end up back in a wheelchair permanently. And then there's, No, it's not w- saying that they can't do it. They're saying they won't they do won't it. They won't do it. And then there's a doctor yeah, in America who says, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. It's going yeah. to cost you 300 grand. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but believe it or not, one of the doctors that we've spoken to for years, when we told her that... We were bringing Casey to Dr. Paley. She actually said to me, if it was my child, I'd bring her. Yeah, I heard you too. You told me that story. But, but to come yeah, back to the know. thing, the idea that someone finishes college here and they've gone through the system and they've qualified as a doctor and they've done their two years on rotation through the various parts of hospital. The idea I'm putting out there, and others are putting out there too, is maybe then, like the army do, because we we trained you in the army, for example, we 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 subsidise your training. Is it we have to give five to ten years to the medical profession or to the hospitals here? How would you feel about that? Take take Katie's situation out of it. Yeah, it, it it is a great idea in theory. Yeah, but as I said, there's doctors here that that have dealt with Katie for seventeen years. They're in the system. They put their time in. Yeah. They're still not qualified. That's true. That's they still true. don't know, you know, and and I know. It's not their fault, right? And I will say that. Mm. The, the reason behind most of this is due to the lack of funding for kids with disabilities. Because they do Katie's surgery here. The, the criteria here is completely different to America because America is 30 years ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. In, you know? in many things, to be fair, uh, Antoinette, thank you for that. Uh, yep. Antoinette and I are old, old friends of this stage, so I think it's only fair to let listeners know what the situation is with, with her daughter, Katie. Needs surgery, can't be done here, so they say if it is done here, she'll end up in a wheelchair. There's a doctor in America who says, I can do it. I can do Dr. Pillay. I can do it. I can do it. Just going to cost you 300 grand. It's a bit like the mesh women that we talked to, was it last year or was it 2022? The women with the surgical mesh implants from years the vaginal mesh and the desperate pain in which they're living and, and there's a wonderful doctor who we got on the show here there's a wonderful doctor doing this in America uh, and other doctors that have left these women and said I can't do it it can't be done he said no actually it can be done I'm doing it do you know get that oh wait one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. to something completely different talking to Jean yesterday Jean's in Douglas and there was brilliant coverage. I was only looking it up last night, actually, in the Examiner website, uh, Owen English and Dan Lenehan did some great photo and video coverage and copy coverage of this great story of Jean's bomb shelter, which is in her garden. Now, she always knew it was there. She just didn't know how big it was until she got gardeners in uh, to do up the garden. And one of them stuck a shovel down into a hole and the shovel got swallowed so they dug out the hole and they've got a three-room bomb shelter underneath the back garden out in Douglas. There are a few more of these around. Um, and the examiner reported on a few of them over the years, one being in Turner's Cross. And there was, I think there was one, they all seem to be on the south side, actually. Uh, Diana Cassidy then got in touch with us. You're out, or you lived, grew up out in Inascara, Diana. Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. <laughs> and I did I, indeed. There's a little <laughs> diagram here on my screen of a bomb shelter or something that looks like a door built into the side of a hill. That That's what you grew up knowing about. Um, well, it kind, kind of, I mean, my, it was down at my grandmother and granddad's house just down the road from us, and it the uh, land goes onto the river. Um, but there's quite a, a there's quite a few feet between the house and the and the river, and it was also on a downhill run, if you like. And so there was part of the garden was actually done in layers. So you had the first um, platform, if you like, which is about which went about thirty to forty feet from the house. Then there was a drop of about six to eight feet down onto the next level, mm-hmm. and that next level was probably about eight or ten feet wide, maybe. Right. Then it went down again, about another 10 feet down to the last level. And on the side of that, uh, there was a pathway that ran the whole way down that didn't, um, that was nothing to do with the levels as such. It just went straight, just a, a slopey path going down to the river. And uh, about halfway down this path on the left-hand side, uh, we grew up knowing, knowing there was a, a bomb shelter there. Christ. And... I remember when I was when we were young, we used to go down to have a look at it, and it, in retrospect, it looked like a version of what was known as an Anderson shelter. Okay. It there was no, there wasn't any real room in it. There was, it was about um, maybe eight or ten foot by six foot, possibly. Right. Little cubby hole, like. Kind of, yeah, and the um, I can't I can't remember whether the roof was curved or flat. I can't remember because I think at that stage. There's been so much, you know, garden cuttings and everything that kind of... Well, it's a great place to keep it. the lawnmower, wouldn't it be? No. <laughs> I, have a, I have a funny feeling, actually, that they actually did probably keep a lawn, a, an old push lawnmower in there. Um, but yeah. I don't remember, you know, I don't remember being... I just remember being a kind of a, a black hole, as it were, more than anything. Mm. And I'd say you probably get maybe eight people standing in there. I see. Did, um, and did you know? Did you ever know the the actual history of who put it in there? No. The um, my pa- my grandparents moved over there. I think it was in the late thirties. Right. Right. Mid, mid to late thirties. No, they rented the place originally before, the, and it was in the sixties. I think they actually bought it from right. the landowner. And sorry, Diana. But, important. Can you remember? It was there when they moved into it. Was it? That no, I don't know. Okay. Okay. That I don't. I don't know. Was it something that my grandfather put in, or was it something that was, um, or was it something that was pre-built? I could. I. I don't know okay. any of the history. Okay. And my parent, my my grandparents are dead a long time. Now. Okay, okay, okay. No, it's just fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I I I used to wonder when I was a kid, and someone said, "Oh, that's a bomb shelter," and I was thinking. If a bomb hit that, the whole bloody place would be up, not just that. Yeah. So it's it's not going to protect it from the direct impact from a bomb. Um, but um, my, as my husband was saying, if the bomb hit the house, any kind of ricocheting and debris from the explosion would be it would be protecting you from that. It would roll down into the river. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Diana. Nice one. The river. <laughs> Maybe this will engage your interest a bit now to find out who actually did put it in. The first. Well, 
I'll have to ask my uncle, who's still around. He's in his mid-80s now. I'll have to ask him to see if he can remember anything. And if I come across anything from him in the next day or so, I'll, um, I'll let you know. I'd be <laughs> delighted. Did I, Diana, I'd be delighted to hear that, if you can find out who put that in. What they used to call an Anderson shelter out there in Ascara, where Diana's grandparents were. They moved in there in the 30s, stroke 40s, and bought it later on. Was it there when they moved in? She doesn't know. Maybe she can find out. That's it. But these things seem to be dotted all over the place. There was one in Turner's Cross, I think, at one point. That was the the examiner did a piece on that a few years ago. Bomb shelters around Cork. It's the things you learn and the things you find, and the conversations that start. Uh, thanks again to Owen and Dan for the, the, the good story in the examiner about Jean's garden in Douglas. But I think there's an awful lot more to the bomb shelters of Cork. There's a story, the bomb shelters of Cork. Then they never um There was a the old courthouse, right? I'm going back a bit now. The old courthouse had a room upstairs. Well, it's still there, but it's still the old courthouse, you know the one. On Washington Street. That had a room upstairs that the press used to use and off that room was this huge it was too big to be a safe but it was a big kind of a strong room with metal walls and I could have sworn there was lead in the walls like there was it was enormous the lads listening around the place now will know and anyone who worked in the courthouse over the years would remember this room it was up where they used to keep the press in the corner way over in the corner this kind of a strong room effort inside off that room and I often wondered what it was maybe it was a shelter but then you'd wonder why is the shelter up and up anyway I'm getting carried away with myself here 0818969696 on the politicians going abroad (laughs) could they not just do a zoom call wouldn't it save the taxpayer a packet save the planet my eyeball look at what fuel all those flights will burn that's from Pat in West Cork. Yeah. It, it is a huge opportunity for us to sell our, our our wares around the world. And I've spoken to business people who go, particularly to the likes of Washington and New York, where business is done, and China, where business is done on the, on the St. Patrick's Day. And there's a lot of very powerful people in those rooms. Could you do some of it on Zoom? Possibly. Possibly. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Andrew is listening in Cheshire, leafy Cheshire, as he describes it. On the subject of our ministers flying off, I personally don't have a problem. My problem is, unfortunately, they come back. On a serious note, I'm sick of listening to the narrative that no other country has the opportunity for access to the White House on this particular day. It's our national day. Surely the POTUS should be coming here. That way we could showcase what the country has to offer, not our heads of state going there. It's a take on it, Andrew, I'll give you that. What we mean by the uniqueness of it is I don't think, and I'm op- I've always been open to correction on this and no one's ever corrected me, I don't think there's another country on the planet that has a guaranteed meeting on its national holiday with the POTUS of the day. I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh eight one eight ninety six. 9696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining, and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. TheFurnitureCentre.ie. Corks 96 FM.
Gotta say, that's the oldest line in the business, as long as we're talking about St. Patrick's Day trips by the various ministers to the four corners of the world. I've no problem with them trips, PJ. The only problem is to come back. <laughs> I know. Two other stories. Two huge stories. I mean, enormously sensational stories of our time. You know, singer dates football player. What is the obsession with Taylor Swift and your man from the football team? What, Casey? Come on. Well, the obsession started with Taylor Swift and the whole thing is she put Travis Kelsey on the map. Uh, Sorry, no, I think his football skills had something to do with that as well. Well, look, that's his own problem. But... I would have never known who Travis Kelsey was. So in America, he's well known, but go outside America. Right. Who's Travis Kelsey? Taylor Swift's boyfriend. So he's not sort of... He's not global. He's global now. Yeah. So he would have been very American. I'm not even into American football and I would have known who he was. One of the biggest players in the LFL. One of the most famous players in the NFL. His brother is actually more known and his brother had... Jason Kelsey had um, an Amazon Prime documentary. So that's kind of how the Kelseys would have come into prominence. Right. And then Taylor Swift just brought this to a whole new level. Yeah, no, to be all, to, to be fair, the, 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 everywhere you turn, there's pictures of them. In fact, the whole Super Bowl story was dominated not by the game, but by whether she'd torn up. Yeah. And then there was more pictures of them meeting each other at full time or half time or whatever they met than there was in the match. Like, that's silly. I think it's because of how they came about. Like, well, Give us the story. <laughs> okay, so, timeline. April 2023, news had come that she'd split from her long-term boyfriend, Joe Alwyn, who is an English actor. Right. right. Okay. July 2023, on his podcast with his brother, he reveals that he tried to give Taylor Swift a friendship bracelet. So it's a thing at the Taylor Swift concerts. You make friendship bracelets with like quotes from her songs and stuff and you swap them in the crowd. He tried to give her one with his phone number, but he wasn't able to get backstage to give it to her. So then in late September, he put out live on a sports interview. He's seen her in Arrowhead. So now she needs to see him in Arrowhead. And three days later, there she was in Arrowhead Stadium watching him play. See? And since then, he's followed her to South America to see her show. He stalked her, basically. Ah, he didn't. She he revealed, did. <laughs> she revealed that they were talking for a long time before he revealed that. Yeah, she had an, he's also the wealthiest boyfriend she's ever had. Probably, yeah. Well, she was with Harry Styles, pre-wealth. Yeah, but that was pre-his wealth as well, to be yeah. fair. You know, I mean, Harry Styles was still doing karaoke when she was going out with him. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, to put it into context, like, I didn't know anything about American football this yeah. time last year. Yeah. Pennies were selling Chiefs t-shirts leading up to the Super Bowl last week. Because of him. Because of him. They weren't selling San Hold Francisco on, you're trying, 49er you're trying, t-shirts. You're trying to tell me. Because I know, and I'm not a big American football fan, but I do know enough to know there's a huge following. Yeah. There have been people in this building over the years who've taken the Monday after Super Bowl off, such as their interest. Yeah. Yeah. But like, to put like, the head of the NFL said the advertisement Taylor Swift has given them, money cannot buy. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. No, she doesn't look, she doesn't need a wealthy boyfriend. She's worth 1.1 billion herself. I was just pointing that out. I think why the fans are, are loving it so much is it's the first time she's had a boyfriend who visually is on her level. Oh, I see. There's no there's no riding off her, 
or success. He's doing his own thing in his corner and she's doing her That's thing That's right, in he's a superstar just like she is. Because the last yeah. guy, who was that instantly forgettable actor? Joe Albin. Okay, see? And Harry Styles, okay, fair yeah. enough. Harry Styles went on to the great thing. So what, look, I know I'm an old cynic here. <laughs> I've been following celebrity partnerships for longer than you have. Yeah. Shall we just say that? <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's, it just is huge. Every, you, can't, you can't avoid the two of them. Yeah, so I'm 26 and I would say this is the first celebrity partnership that is of note to me. Like, I'd, Brangelina would have been when I was younger, maybe. Brangelina. This must be the biggest me. thing since then. Yeah. I still can remember Billy, I can remember Billy Joel and, and, and the supermodel. You know, going back to the, he wrote a song about her. Do you know what I mean? Uptown Girl was about a song, was about his. About his yeah. No, they, they, they. <laughs> I know, yeah. Every time, Anna says, every time I see Travis Kels this week, he's drunk. I can't see it lasting. Taylor is more clean living. Now, she is very clean living. So. And he's fond of the gargle, or so, well, he was Well, they're on a celebration, yeah. and I think th- the speculation with this has come out and been like, she was there at the celebration with him. There's an actual video of them at the Super Bowl right. after party singing her song to each other. Right. Oh, God. So, like, are you going to give out to sad. someone for celebrating the biggest oh win God, of their no. career, you know? Oh so, will that, one assumes she'll be the, will she be the Super Bowl halftime gig? Well, she refused it for the past one there. Yeah. So, I suppose it depends on the tour. That tour is still going. Yeah, it is. And you've, you've refused... It's up on... Is it Amazon it's on now? It's going on Disney+. Plus. Disney+. Plus. Yeah. You're refusing to watch it. I've I've seen clips online, but like I've paid to see the real thing, so I'll watch it probably every day after I've seen it. But I want the initial surprise to be the day I go to see it. <laughs> <laughs> because you had to go to the credit union. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
<laughs> Am I not right? Yeah, well, look. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, Elle McPherson. No, I don't think Elle McPherson wasn't dating, wasn't dating Billy Joel. I don't know who that is. You don't know who Elle McPherson no. was? You see, there's a thing. Elle, Elle McPherson, well, Elle, your Elle McPherson was a model. Yeah, and Christy Brinkley was the, the, the model who he married and see... Yeah, they were big at the time. She's looking at me here. Ladies and gentlemen, young Katie is looking at me here. Doesn't even know who Billy Joel was. Oh, I know who that is. Oh, you know who he is. Because <laughs> yeah. he's got a new single out, but anyway. <laughs> he's 74, he's got a new single out. Christy, yeah. And Christy Brinkley was his wife. And it was written about... I see, they're giving me the whole story now. Here, from outside the class. Celebrity. Celebrity. Um, I could, will they last, do you think? They think she'll be married within the year. I didn't or at say, least I didn't engaged. To him? Yeah, to him. Mind you, he was a bit of a cheapskate on Valentine's Day. 16,000 euro worth of... Yeah, that's a cheapskate. I mean, like, he got that for just putting on his clothes at the Super Bowl. What did you buy your wife? I'm not a Super... I'm not an NFL player. <laughs> I don't know, I what think... What did she give him, billionaire? Exactly. So, I don't know... Um, if will they last, won't they last? I think she's very comfortable in her career and that was her problem in her last relationship apparently was that she was not settling down. So we'll have to see if that's going to be a factor. Is she? She's 33. Okay. By the way, will he be in Dublin, do you think? He said he's going on her Europe tour. So maybe. Mm. Yeah, I was listening to a radio station in Melbourne the other day, because obviously my daughter's out there now, so I'm taking an interest in what's going on in the news out there. She landed in the, she was playing the MCG three nights there, all sold out like years and years ago. And they had three armoured vehicles leaving the airport and they were all decoys. And the poor reporter sent out for the radio station to try and find her was completely lost because he thought, right, I'll follow the less obvious route. They knew the press would do that. They took the most obvious freeway route to the stadium. Yeah. There you go. She's, she is, is she or is she not the biggest star on the planet at the moment? 100%. Like the rise of Taylor Swift, I think in the past four years, considering the fall of Taylor Swift before that, is astronomical. Because I remember her coming on the scene. In all seriousness, I do. I remember her breaking on the scene and her first few records and thinking, she's a good pop performer, making good pop music by anyone's standards of any generation. How did she go from being a good pop performer to being, let's face it now, bigger than Madonna ever was? Well, she was a country singer first. Yeah. And she credits Shania Twain for being able to go over to Crossover, pop. yeah, of course. Shania's um, still touring. Yeah, and I think then she had, what kind of put her on international maps would have been her first blow up with Kanye West. Mm. When he took the award off her on the stage and made his his thing, and then she always had her fans like I was. <laughs> well, I was a fan from like the first day dot up, and then she had a big fall again due to Kanye West and the Kardashians to the point where she actually went into hiding for three years, and some of that was she spent time in Ireland actually in that hiding. She has a great relationship with Ireland, and mm. then she came back with. The reputation tour and it kind of all slowly rose again and then it just went astronomical and I think TikTok has a lot to do with that. Mm. So like people were dancing to her songs and then explaining what this song meant and this is what she actually means by this line and it just made it that drives huge. Me mad, that stuff, you know? <laughs> what was the big song they used to do at the pantomime dances? Was it Take It Off or... Shake It Off? Shake It Off, yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember that. 
who the hell is doing that? that, that that's the era that I remember discovering her and thinking, she's not bad. She's not better than that song was. Biggest star in the world. All right. Um, oh, by the way, you say she loves Ireland. Yeah. You do a job for me. Of course. You get her on the show. PJ. <laughs> I would lose my professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> See you, Katie. Thanks very much. Our in-house Swifty. Uh, Katie O'Keefe, back with the news at 11. Um, she'll find a Taylor Swift story to stick in there if she can. Get back to the Super Bowl for just a second, though. Um, because, yeah, it's it's it was huge. And people stood up all night to watch it. And before the Super Bowl, I spoke to Colm Cronin, uh, who runs the Irish NFL podcast and how he was heading over to cover it and to be there for a week before it for the before and after party and I'll catch up again with Cullum in just a sec because he met you know you'll find a Corkman anywhere but he met a Corkman right there in the heart of the NFL I'll talk to Cullum in a couple of minutes 0818 96 96 96 Join the conversation This is the Opinion Live With the Furniture Centre Watercourse Road Blackpool For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses Over 45 years in business Thefurnituresentre.ie Corks 96 FM So we had a chat with Colin Cronin before he headed off uh, for the Super Bowl and predicted that the Chiefs would win uh, and that was a fairly safe prediction at the time. And you had a great time over there, Colm, and the NFL, Irish NFL podcast carries the full story, but who the heck is Brendan Daly? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, it was an amazing week in Vegas, but Brendan Daly is a man with six Super Bowl rings. He uh, is a phenomenal coach. He has three from his time with the New England Patriots. He then went to the Kansas City Chiefs, and he now has six more. So he uh, can't even fit all his Super Bowl rings on one hand. A Super Bowl ring is given to the coach and players of the winning team, correct? Exactly, and they they all have a special design for every single Super Bowl. It incorporates the number of uh, of that particular Super Bowl. This was Super Bowl fifty eight, um, so it will either incorporate fifty eight or the room Roman numerals for fifty eight into to the ring. And in Vegas, in on the Sphere, they actually one evening uh, during the run up to the Super Bowl, they projected um, all fi- all fifty seven of the pre. Super Bowl rings onto the sphere over the course of about two or three hours. Wow, wow! So, yeah. but but the big thing about Brendan Daly is he he was an engineer in Ring of Skiddy. Did he work for Pfizer's at one point? It it wasn't it wasn't Pfizer's, but he was an engineer in Ring of Skiddy. So Brendan actually he studied uh, engineering and he uh, completed his engineering degree, and then obviously with a name like Brendan Daly, he has Irish heritage, oh, and awesome. he decided as a young, as a young man he'd heard all the stories about the homeland, you know this great bucolic nation that uh, his family had told him about, and he decided he wanted to find out himself. So he got a job down in Ring. 
a skiddy and he moved over and he spent uh, just about uh, six, seven months uh, living there and absolutely loved his time. And he credits his time there and the attitude that he found amongst his fellow colleagues with helping him to, I suppose, bring a, a, a different sense to coaching. Amer- obviously, American uh, football is intense and the way in which coaches approach it is super intense. We tend to be a bit more laid back, PJ. And he mm-hmm. has brought that with him through his coaching career. And it's obviously paying dividends given how successful he's been. Mm-hmm. And do, do we know if any of his Irish roots happen to be in Cork? Yeah, he is. He's a, he's a monster man. He's actually plans to come back over um he hopes um, later this year. Um, he, from what if I, he's he's going to figure it out. I was talking to him a, an opening night. At opening night at the Super Bowl, you get the opportunity to talk to the coaches, the players. Mm. And I heard your la- last segment there uh, about Travis Kelsey. What was fascinating, PJ, was there were more reporters around Travis Kelsey than around Patrick Mahomes. I have I, I, wow. talking to report talking to reporters there who've covered the Super Bowl for 30 years, they have never seen the tight end have more reporters around them than the quarterback. It was an absolute first. Yeah. Um, but Brendan Daly, Brendan Daly was there and I got to talk to him and he doesn't tend to, to travel over. He believes they, they, his people are from Cork, Kerry and Clare. You know, I'd love to get him into the studio. I, he he's definitely a man who's he's very he's very easy to talk to. He is laid back and he has incredible knowledge uh, across a whole variety of different spectrums. Which again, one of the interesting things about him is he won his first super, four Super Bowl rings coaching the defensive line, the guys who rush the quarterback, the guys yeah. who try and sack yeah. the quarterback. He then went to Andy Reid and he said to Andy, "Andy, I've been doing this a long time. It's been great, but I'd like a new challenge." And in fairness to Andy Reid he said okay and so he moved coaching a different position group I am unaware PJ and I'm talking to people around the league of any other coach who's been that successful got four rings coaching one group and then moved to a different position group to so take, he's a really to take an character. Irishman to take it an was. Irishman come here come back to come back to is it settle this one for me is it Kelsey or Kels it's Kelsey it's, it's Kelsey. definitely uh, I would Kelsey. have thought there'd be a way in a Kelsey but it's Kelsey okay why like, is it because you said to me the biggest crowds around him than around any other pair? Is it because of who his who his girlfriend is? Yes, though he though he was on a trajectory anyway. I I, I would say he he had kind of broken out of just being a tight end. Now he's he's interesting because he is tight ends are kind of knowing known for being the party boys. Rob Gronkowski has that. They're the beer drinkers. But he because he had his podcast with his brother and people saw him through that. He was already on a sort of different path than most um, NFL players. He'd had a spat with Aaron, Aaron Rodgers about the vaccine. Um, he was him and Patrick Mahomes are best friends. That kind of added to, mm. to the lower. 
but it is the Taylor Swift uh, phenomenon that yeah. has taken him to a new level. And I heard you uh, with, with Katie saying about Taylor, you know, she's kind of known for, for clean living. Well, I can tell you that on the Jumbotron at the Super Bowl, we watched Taylor. She appeared on it and she chugged a full beer. She, she is able to keep up. I don't know if she could do that before she met Travis or if this came <laughs> afterwards, but she is able to chug a full pint. Now, there's, there's the story of the day. Katie can take that in follow it up. Thank you so much, Colm. Uh, that's uh, Colm Cronin from the Irish NFL podcast. I want to jump quickly to the phone lines to talk to Charlie Weston. And thank you for holding for me, Charlie, because there's a new company has just jumped onto the mortgage market here. And it's offering mortgages to people who will still be able to pay them off until the age of 80. This is MoCo. This is mad, Charlie, I would have thought. Good morning. Good morning, TJ. Yeah, it would strike people as um, having uh, echoes of the old Celtic Tiger, as we all know to our cost. That's turned out very badly. Um, but um, th- this new company, MoCo, they're called. It's a new mortgage lender. They're backed by an Austrian bank, Bawag, unusual name that. Uh, but anyway, they, they launched just before Christmas, had a kind of soft launch and been keeping their heads down a bit as they kind of build up, uh, you know, to, to, a bit of capacity to, to lend. They, they operate through brokers. But I suppose it really hit the headlines when I discovered that um, their mortgage terms w- will allow you to pay a mortgage up to the age of 80. It says in their credit policy, max term of up to 35 years, so you can have a 35-year mortgage, max term to applicant age of 80. So in other words, you know, you could still be paying it at 80, um, which might strike people as pretty irresponsible. And, you know, because obviously most people at that age would be retired, they wouldn't have much of an income. Uh, it seems like a long time to be paying a mortgage and the life expectancy of a man in this country doesn't really go up to, you know, m- m- most males would probably be dead by that stage. There's, there's a fair few people whose mortgages will be dying with them, you're right? Yeah, exactly. So, look, at least if you do die, I mean, it's paid off. You know, your your yeah. your, your kids wouldn't have to pay it because you'd have mortgage protection insurance in place to lenders insist on that but I said to MoCo hold on that this sounds a bit irresponsible and they say look at no it's it, we, they'd only give this to someone who had good, good income basically a pension a good pension and they'd have to have documentary evidence that uh, somebody you know was able to pay this in, up to the age of 80 and there'd be an individual assessment carried out with a prudent approach taken in relation to ongoing income and affordability in retirement is what they said to me. But um, you know, it, look, it may just be something that, that, that some people would need if, if, for example, there was marriage breakdown late in life and, uh, you know, somebody needed to get their own apartment or something to, to, to move on. They, they, it may suit just to, to mm. take a, a mortgage on later in life. They might Good. be able to have a big deposit, yeah. um, uh, but but need the few bob. But it'd take a while to pay it off. So, but it, it, you just would hope it wouldn't become something that would become standard. Most lenders want you to pay off your mortgage by the time you're seventy. Uh, mind you, that was challenged recently. Uh, Avant Money, which are based in Leitrim and backed by a Spanish bank, Bank Inter. They refused a guy in his seventies a switcher mortgage, and he took a case to the workplace commission, yeah. uh, and 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 they have um, money lost that case and mm. had to pay eight thousand euros in uh, compensation. Mm. Will people be able to switch to to Moco and get one of these mortgages? Oh yeah, I mean you know they're offering mortgages to new lenders, switchers. Um, but look at it, get one of those. By the sound of it, there'd be a fairly tough. Uh, you know, uh, assessment going on. You'd have to have a decent, very decent pension in retirement. But 
you know, there are some people who that will suit and will want that. And that's mm-hmm. product, I suppose, is a bit of flexibility in the market, you could say, on the one hand. The other argument is that, you know, is it flexible or is it just uh, reflecting the fact that people are, you know, they're taking out mortgages for the first time much later in life. I mean, yeah, there is a, that, that. That's a fact. That's a fact. I see this morning as well a report, Charlie, I don't know whether you came across it, that and you and I talked about this before, the number of credit union mortgages is on the up and people want to switch to them now as well. Credit unions are the way to go with their 18 billion in deposits, aren't they? They are. I have that report this morning saying that uh, there's been an 80% increase in the number of credit union mortgages issued last year, up to 1,800. It's slow. It's a slow start, but uh, credit unions could really make inroads into the old lending space for mortgages uh, because they have very good rates. They have really, really good rates. They knock the socks off the banks in terms of what you can get. Now, each credit union sets its own interest rate. Is there an average? No, unfortunately there isn't, but they are planning to do that now, to offer one product and market it as one product. But at the moment, look, it depends on your credit union, but you can get a mortgage from a credit union for as low as 2.95%. Wow. Now, that, that is absolutely brilliant. That is way better than anything else in the market, particularly the banks. So, uh, you know, they, they are beginning to kind of make a bit of inroads in there. They, they've issued now about $550 million in mortgages, it's up 15% on last year. Uh, so, 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 you know, about 100 credit unions are offering mortgages. But if your credit union doesn't offer one because it's maybe too small, there is new legislation which is clearing the way for that small uh, credit union now to refer you on to a bigger neighbouring credit union where, where you'd be able to get a mortgage. So, yeah. you know, they have plans to, to expand this space that could be, become a good competitor and put it up to the banks because they're not depending on the European Central Bank for setting their interest rates. They have their own savings, as you say, 18 billion euros in savings. They use that to fund their mortgages, which means they can fund their mortgages at very competitive rates. That is, isn't it, Charlie, an eye-watering sum of money that our credit unions, and it's no wonder that your credit union, will, if you have a good relationship with your credit union, they'll always say to you, spend our money. We've plenty of it. Don't spend yours. 18 billion quid. Yeah. I mean, and the big problem for them is that not just not enough people are going to them for loans, but they have seen an increase. You know, there's an increase in, in the lending. that they, 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 They're offering a fair few loans now, mainly for holidays, cars, mm. uh, home improvements. But, um, yeah, mortgages and business loans as well are way up. But, yeah, they have the cash. They, if you want a loan, you know, go to your leg- local credit union. You can do it online as well. They're, they're you know, they're, they're catching up with the technological advances. Uh, but yeah, there's, you're right. You're right, PJ. That's an eye-watering amount of money that credit unions have available to lend, and they're very competitive. And the ethos is a good one. It's you know they're member-owned, they're community-based. They're not out there to rip you off. Uh, you know, and their arrears are very low as well. So yeah, bloody good option. Consider your credit union, lads, if, if you're looking for a loan or a mortgage. I would say. Okay, Charlie. You know, energy. These they're, they're new. They're not here a wet week, and they really are stirring up. The energy market, they have another cut in electricity prices for new business. The third cut this year alone, and we're only into, what are we today, 20th of February, PJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had a cut last year. Yeah, new player called Uno Energy, backed by the people who uh, set up prepay power. Now, it's a different model, but prepay power is a metered you, 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 you know, you electronically top up your meter every so often. This is a different uh, situation. Uh, they're offering fixed rates now, which are 26 cents a kilowatt hour, very cheap. 
they keep cutting their rates because they want to be more competitive than the rest of the market. It's putting it up to the um, to the others now. You really hope that Electric Ireland, SSE Electricity, Borgosh, Energy, that these guys are scratching their heads going, mm, maybe we need to cut again because wholesale energy prices are coming down. And uh, yeah, these this new player is putting it up to the rest mm. of them in the market uh, to cut their rates. So hopefully that will happen now and we'll, get, we'll see Bit of bit of competition, bit of decent competition in the energy market. Again, because we we did have it at one point, and I remember at the time talking to you and talking to people like like Bonkers Dara over at Bonkers to move move your your, your provider, and they've made it really easy. I remember the first time I moved, I certainly saved quite an amount of money. So, are we going to get back into that space, Charlie, where moving will actually be worth it? Yeah, for a long time, PJ, it wasn't worth it during the worst of the energy crisis. Right. You know, pretty soon, particularly soon after the Russians invaded Ukraine. But it's coming back into play now as an option. I mean, they're all offering discounts for new customers. If you've come to the end of your, what are usually one-year contracts, make sure, you know, at the very least, get a decent uh, new rate out of your own supplier, or if not, just move. It is, as you say, PJ, it's a dead easy thing to do. Just dig out the, the bill the electricity or the gas bill and ring up um, ring up a supplier, your own supplier, and see what they're offering. And then compare that on the likes of bonkers.ie or switcher.ie and see if you can't get a better rate. And you will save a packet. You could save 400, 500 euros on your electricity alone. That's not to be sneezed at. That's a lot of, that's a lot of cash as far as I'm concerned. A question that comes up on that one, Cherry, that I... So let's imagine you're with now, you know, and you stay with them for a year... And then you decide to move to Borgosh Energy and you stay with them. Can you go back to Uno you know, and get get the, the oh, discounts you, again? You can. You can go back and forth. I mean, if they're oh. offering, yeah, if they're offering a decent deal, you can move where you want. It's a free market. You know, the, the downside of that is they get to set their own prices. And I constantly, during the worst of the energy crisis, had people saying to me, what's the regulator doing? Why are they not stopping them increasing yeah. prices? We, yeah. we, the regulator doesn't get involved in any of that price setting on the other hand it's if it, the market is open so that you can move back and forth from supplier to supplier every year and if you break out of the contract it costs you 50 euros but if you're out of contract if you've mm. done your one-year contract you can move wherever you want to i mean i personally have been with electric ireland then i've gone to others i've been with flow gas i've been with ball gosh i move all over the place because i i just look for the best deal sign up for a good deal and some of these deals are fixed rates like it's not going to change for a year yeah. Forget about it. Forget about it then uh, for a year. But make a note in your phone when the contract is up, and contact your supplier and look at the look at the other options and see if you can't do better. And yeah. you probably will. You'll save yourself a, a packet of money because all that heavy lifting is gone. Of course, it doesn't. It doesn't take from the fact, Charlie, as you have I and I have discussed more than once, we are still vastly overpaying for our energy. Oh, we are in this country. We have one of the highest electricity prices in Europe. Uh, you know, there's a real issue around the structure of the market. It should be investigated by the regulator and by the Department of, of, of uh, Energy, but it isn't. Why is it so expensive to to, to, to pay, you know, to, to, to use electricity in this country? Uh, you know, we have real issues around the costs and here, and even though we have 11 uh, energy suppliers in the, in the electricity side, and they're all competing with each other, it's still very, very expensive compared to other countries. And this is even in a situation where there's a temporary reduction in the VAT on your electricity bill from 13.5% to 9%, and we're getting three energy credits. Uh, so, you know, if, if, if that turns around, if, if the VAT rate goes back up and we don't have the energy credits next year, it'll become expensive. So, you know, 
I don't know why we wasted an opportunity as a state not to look at why our electricity is so damned expensive in this country. We shouldn't have to pay through the nose for electricity, but we do. Mm-hmm. And it annoys the hell out of people, I think. All right, Charlie, leave it there. Thank you. Always a pleasure to talk and speak with Charlie Weston, personal finance editor of the Irish Independent. This new mortgage provider, uh, which is called MoCo, you can now take a mortgage out that you'll be still paying off when you're 80. Speaking as a fella who will be rid of his... I actually have a date. So sad am I. I have a date written down at home, which will be the last day of my mortgage. Now, it's not tomorrow, and it's not the day after, and it's not even next year, but it's visible. I can see it over the horizon. And I'll still be old enough to enjoy myself with me money. God, I can't imagine what it must be like to still pay a mortgage until you're 80. If you have to, you have to, I suppose. That credit union statistic, I love doing these little sums on a piece of paper. The seven Charlie was saying 18 billion euro sitting in credit unions around the country waiting to be borrowed. If there's 5 million of us in the country, that's 36,000 euro sitting in credit unions for every man, woman and child in the country. A lot of dosh, a lot of dosh. On bomb shelters, maybe they were on the south side because they were near the harbour uh, and Camden and Fort Carlisle, says one message, which, yes, that, that would make quite an amount of sense. Although Andrew has another theory. Andrew says, hi, PJ, just to clarify why all the bomb shelters are in the south side. Think about it now for a second, John Fuller. What army from any part of the world would seriously be either brave or stupid enough to bomb the north side. But um Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurniturecentre.ie Corks 96 FM The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM. All right. Between now and midday, another chance to win money with the word free money on Cork's 96FM a thousand euro you could win that between now and 12 if you can figure out the word bleeped out Uh, this is a conversation between Lorraine and Ross in the morning and we've bleeped out a word tell us what the word is and win the cash there's a thousand euro in the pot for this hour. This rolled over from yesterday and this morning is a grand. What word is bleeped out here? If you could only see the dance moves that were being pulled out during that song. You're welcome. Dear and God. On the, on the get up, get up there, there's a bit too much <laughs> for my liking. What? There's three of them in that. What word is left out? If you think you know just send us your name. Do not send us the answer to 083 
396 Do not text the answer. Just text or WhatsApp your name, please, to 083 396 for your chance to play the word between now and midday on Cork's 96FM. I'll go on, so. If you could only see the dance moves that were being pulled out during that song. You're welcome. Dear and God. On the, on the get up, get up there, there was a bit too much <laughs> for my liking. All right, okay. Just your name, please. 083 396 A thousand euro could be yours by midday. We gave away 500 yesterday on day one. Could be a thousand by midday today. 0818-96-96-96. Now, Andrew and Martin... Uh, good morning to you both, and congratulations are in order with the latest development in Toasties. Morning. Thanks very much, PJ. Good morning. How are you? Very good morning, PJ. Hey, guys. So tell me the story. Martin, tell me the story of, of Toasties. You're going now since, what, pandemic, I guess. I actually was opened before. We on the market like six years, and... Everything started because of Andrew idea. We want to open some. Actually, I want to open something and do something. And basically, Andrew, he gave me idea and we opened Toasty. Okay. And this, like, it's great to know that there is a good news story with all the closures and all the people in trouble of late. Um, Andrew, take the story up from there. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's, uh, first of all, Middleton is a great town. And it's extremely supportive for all the businesses that are opening. So when we went there, we didn't know anyone. We just start, we always want to open something like a restaurant more or something, you know. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, when you don't have existing business and you want to rent something, it's extremely hard because you're kind of on the end of the queue, you know. Mm-hmm. And then luck- luckily enough, we got that small, little, uh, tiny uh, site uh, in Middleton, you know, mm. and we said, we go for it, you know. So this was, Con- this was Connolly Street, the old place. Exactly. Tiny, yeah, tiny, Connolly tiny. Had, had, had you guys, had either of you a background in food or beverages or catering of any kind? So I kind of, I were, like, we both actually have backgrounds, you know, and then, like, I worked in catering nearly 20 years, like, you know. Okay. Okay, so you know you, you you knew your way around. Had you ever done a startup before? Yes, yes, we done. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So yeah. it was. It, it started before the pandemic, but but Martin, I think it it was the pandemic that really boosted you because you were open for takeaway when everybody else around you, you see, was struggling. You see the, the small side on the Connolly Street was only takeaway. There was no seats, nothing like, you know? Yeah. We just had, you know, small counter, coffee, you know, we were doing toasted sandwiches and coffee, like, you know? So people, overall people prefer to sit down and, you know, have it, you know, enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Rather than grab it and go, you know? But when pandemic happened, everything was closed and we've stayed open, you know? So that's when really, really things took off because for some people, that cup of coffee was a highlight of the day, you know? Yeah, it was about the only highlight of the day some days, yeah. and, and the sandwich was an added bonus. So people people literally queued in the rain. They did, yeah. Every day there was at least five, six people. We we were, like, so easy, that, but the site was so small, we couldn't take anyone else there to give us <laughs> hand, like, you know? Because yeah, yeah. There was you, no you, room. <laughs> and it's not just the Sam- sandwich. Yeah, go on. 
Yeah. Just want to say, sometimes we have to even switch off the phone because it was kind of like too much, you know? <laughs> like the place is so tiny. Yes. And we was not able actually on the counter manage with the three people, you know? Great. It was kind of like, yeah, it was absolutely amazing time. The town actually show up and, you know, like doing the support for every each kind of like the business or if we, if they want to actually able to do something, they're actually, the town was great and brilliant. Now, the big success story is, guys, that you have moved to a new place right there on Main Street. Yes. When did this come about and how, Andrew? So, we, you see, as I said, you know, we always wanted a bigger place for Toasty, you know, but we didn't really m- want to move far away from it because... The base of the regular customer there, like we have a Brussels pharmacy across us, you know, and then they look at the window. Oh, there's no queue. So they run for the cup of coffee, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and we, we want to still have them, like, you know, mm. so we didn't want to move far, but we want to move to bigger premises. Yeah. And then when there used to be a high society shop there and I, I was walking one day collecting cakes in the morning from the local lady that bakes them for us. And I looked at the sign for rent, and I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I rang Martin, we rang Colbert, as you see, and then, yeah, and then there's one girl working with me as well, and I came to, because I work, we have a roasty restaurant as well. Right. Yeah. So I said to her as well, when I, I seen her, I was like, I was like, Nicola, this is it. And so we went and looked through the window, and I could picture that this is the, the site that we wanted, like, you know. Right. You opened on Valentine's Day. We did. Yes. Spread the love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's great news, and lo- there was loads of people delighted to see you moving. Be- you had d- developed a lovely little fan base in the tiny, tiny place. Yeah. Ca- can people we sit did. down now in the new one, lads, or is it still just Take- takeaway? It's kind of more like takeaway, but there is uh, there is a kind of like a counter with stools, and there's a, a window seat. So if you want to grab, like you know. Let's say you're on the lunch break or something. You can, you know, take your takeout sandwich, but you can sit down and Tip enjoy the it. Like, that's you know. nice. Exactly. That's nice. You're you're famous for the different flavors and selections of coffee. You're you're described as having probably the best cup of coffee in East Cork. Someone said to me. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you, <laughs> you getting them from, you, lads? That? Where are you getting them beans from? Yeah, secret, secret. Uh, story, it's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, you've got a seriously good reputation for the for the quality of the coffee, which is the great thing. Do you know Middleton had a terrible time of it last oh, October? Horrible. Did you? Were you affected? Yeah, so like, as I mentioned earlier as well, like we have a we have a restaurant and the, the smaller site, and then we actually signed a contract for the new place last year in May. Yeah. But the thing, you know, it was, it, it was, you know, it was really in bad condition. So we have to do everything, starting from the floor to the wall to the ceiling, like you know. So it took time, and we, the plan was to open in November, and then the October the flood happened. So we had two businesses, and the third starting, and three of them were flooded. Yeah. Oh, the new place so, was flooded before you even got we, in there. Yes. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. So the new place was flooded, the small place was flooded, and the restaurant was flooded. Oh no. No, it was it was it was heartbreaking to be honest with you, you know, because the plan was to go there, open the new place, everything, and then in the space of ten minutes, your whole life, you know. Well, that makes it an even bigger cause for happiness to have opened on Valentine's Day, doesn't it? Doesn't it, Martin? 
uh, there was actually no choice. You have to make the decision on the end, your kind of deadline. You have to open. And whatever there will be happen, we have to open, you know. And that was that time when we was missing good few bits. But this was that moment, that time, 14th of February, we go for it, you know. And right. it was just amazing. Well, I wish you success, lads, both of you. Great success. Thank you very much, PJ. That's Andrew and Martin from Tolsties in Middleton who've moved on to the main street. Years and years of hard work and graft and grind has got them to a nice, successful position in Middleton and a success story in the midst of all the bad news. Far too much of it that's around in retail of late. That's Andrew Falton and Martin Moneta. Thank you. And there was a good piece on that in uh, Cork Pio and some pictures as well which are worth seeing 0818 96 96 96 uh, Jimmy says on mortgages until you're 80 Jimmy says PJ myself and the wife were in our late 40s when we cleared our mortgage four years ago great to clear it can't imagine still having a mortgage at 80 no way no neither could I Jimmy to be quite honest with you can't imagine having a mortgage at 80 look I suppose there are some people who will want it and as Charlie said, you'll have to be able to show your ability to pay. You'll have to have a fairly hefty pension to be able to pay a mortgage into your 80s. Go right back to the start of the programme this morning, talking to Mark about himself and Owen and little Aria, their daughter, and their second child who'll be buried, or born this week in Texas to a surrogate, same surrogate. They can't come home even if they wanted to, because their children are not recognised in Ireland and cannot become Irish citizens. But if they were a man and woman married to each other, hey, I'll be taking the boo tomorrow. We'll podcast that interview a little bit later on. Bernie says, I heard it, and it brings home that we're still quite backward, making exceptions and problems for gay couples. We've passed so many equality laws, and we voted for marriage equality, and still you have heartbreaking situations like this. Equality should mean total equality. And come back to talking about, you know, why the hospitals are so full and why the schools are so full, but the hospitals in particular and the cancellation of appointments and the fact that the emergency departments are overrun, constantly overrun, huge numbers on trolleys. I don't have the trolley watch numbers for today just yet if I get them because of the day that's in it. And what we're talking about, I'll give you the trolley watch figures before we finish out. But Morris says, Hi PJ, Ireland's population has grown by 500,000 in just over 10 years. Schools and hospitals are overrun. Over the weekend, both the Taoiseach and Tánaiste were out of the country in Germany for a global security conference. They care more about sorting out the world's problems than our own. And look at them all missing as well. For St. Patrick's Day. 0818-969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurnituresentre.ie. Cox96FM. A couple more of your comments throughout the morning. We've got a lot going on here. Uh, conversation was... This one, talked to Tommy Gould from Sinn Féin, which we'll podcast. Thomas Gould talking about shortages of doctors and shortages of nurses and delays in the health service and cancelling of appointments and all of that. And we came up with the idea, or I put it 
to Thomas the idea that I've always had that, look, if you train in the Air Corps as a pilot, you've got to give them a certain amount of years. If you train in the Army as an engineer, you've got to give them a certain number of years too. What if you go through university and you train as a doctor or a nurse, but say doctor in particular, if you go through university, that's very highly subsidised by the taxpayer in most cases, not all, but most cases. It's very highly subsidised by the taxpayer if you go through. So should you not have to give a few years to the public system, say five years after you have done your two years rotation as a baby doctor? That's an accepted term before anyone gets triggered. A baby doctor, you do your two years and then you give five years, you got to give five years to the system. That was just a thought I had and I'm wondering what interest there is out there in it. PJ, listening to Thomas Gould infuriated me. It's almost elitism saying doctors don't have to pay back the investment made in them by their country. Women can't have babies and get maternity pay without paying it back. It's completely unreasonable to accept do- expect doctors not, it's completely reasonable, rather, to expect doctors to give a period of time to their country. That's from Miriam. John says, PJ, about 15 years ago, the HSE offered members of staff right across the board a chance to go back to college and become nurses, and whether at, at college they were paid their full wages. With that, they then had to give five years back to the HSE after they qualified. Good idea. I worked for the HSE for the past 25 years and I know some of my friends that did this, and that's from John. That was a good idea. I seem to remember that, John, very vaguely. <clears throat> Excuse me, they offered people an opportunity to go back to college. They were paid while they were there, and then they had to give five years' commitment. I seem to remember that. PJ says, Deborah, one thing that needs to be sorted is staff-to-patient ratio. There's no official staff-to-patient ratio in any healthcare setting. Whereas in a school creche, there's a staff-to-pupil ratio. Why is this? Oh, if you want to tie newly qualified doctors to contracts after training, it should only be two years, says Deborah. I'm with you there, Deborah. The staff to patient ratio, I don't think there actually is one in this country. I remember speaking to a former Cork Rose of Tralee. This is years ago now. And she'd gone to Australia and she was nursing over there and she was home for Christmas and we were doing the thing where people are home for Christmas and I asked her, I said, you know, what's better about nursing in Brisbane, I think it was what's better about nursing in Brisbane than say nursing out in CUH where there's plenty of jobs she said, here's the thing, when I'm working in Brisbane, I'm on a night shift the law says, the law says, I can't be in charge of more than I think the number she said was 10 people 10 patients, and if there's any more than that, another nurse has to be brought on we've nothing like that here and that's what, that, that, that kind of it. I don't know what the number was now, but she did say the law meant she could only have a, a certain number of patients at any one particular time. And that was one of the things that was keeping her in Brisbane rather than bringing her back to Cork. 0818 96 96 96. Now, there's a protest coming up today at MTU, about which I know very little, but teachers are demonstrating out there over the government and an agreement, and the government not sticking to the terms. Shane O'Rourke is a Teachers Union of Ireland rep out at MDU. I think, not just myself, Shane, but a lot of listeners might know what this is about. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. What's this about? What, why are you protesting today? Okay, well, we're at lunchtime at 1pm at the Bishopstown campus of uh, 
Master of Technology University, which people may uh, know from its previous, um, you know, it was previously known as uh, Cork Institute of Technology. And, of course, there's been a move uh, to um, for institutes of technology to become technological universities. That's yeah. been happening throughout the country. There used to be 14 IOTs, and now there's uh, five technological universities. Um, so we did reach agreement when um, this was... Um, when this transformation was underway, that um, there be you know, a huge agreement with the official side, with what was then known as the Department of Education Skills, um, that's now the Department of Further and Higher Education. And um, so basically we got assurances that, the, um, that we'd have a strong, coherent um, sector um, and that, there'd be, that the, they would have to come to us to negotiate uh, and agree on uh, new pay scales, on uh, new grades, and you know all of that kind of thing. The idea being so there was a deal with the setting up of the technological universities. There was a deal that the TUI would be involved in discussing pay rates. Is that what I'm getting from you here? Well, that's that's part of us. There was okay, uh, and, and that hasn't been we, done. I take it. Uh, no, well, basically, uh, not regarding these. We just heard we were taken uh, somewhat by surprise. I have to say, just. Um, Late last year, that um, there were new um, executive management positions that were being filled, and that there were going to be a, a different uh, race to um, elsewhere. This was I mean, the whole thing is this: if it's proposed, I decided that there would be uh, new pay scales, whatever. That's, you know, that's an, yeah, an awful there. phone line. That's an awful telephone line, Shane. Can you can we maybe try and clean it up? Or maybe could you could you move wherever you were when we started okay. talking? It's a bit better than than where you are now. Okay, can you hear me now? That's a bit better. That's a bit okay. better. So, so this is affecting teachers how? Uh, well, I suppose it's, we're just looking that this is, we've got a new technological university sector and we want it to be a success. We want it to be a strong sector. We want it to have teachers Union of Ireland in having uh, agreements with the official side and so that everything can run smoothly and harmoniously and, uh, you know, in fairness to our students whom we serve and uh, to our, our members, and the danger is that by having, by introducing different uh, rates of pay for the same uh, positions, essentially, by not having parity of esteem, then this is going to lead to the fragmentation of the sector. So it may to do with uh, senior um, management positions now, but the danger is that that might be then for lecturers later. And that might so this is coming back to something, or is it? Is this similar to what the INTO were complaining about a few years ago, that you had teachers in classrooms doing the same jobs but being paid less because of different agreements. Is is that what's likely to happen now, say, out of MTU? Well, it's a similar principle, I suppose. Yes, it is. That, that would be the concern. So it's a case of just who knows what will happen in the future. And we'd be concerned that we'd have uh, one technological university that might be considered to be of a lower class, that we'd have the beginnings of a two-tier system. We, we absolutely can't... I see. Uh, so two-year... Two, this is the, 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 I've covered enough of the teachers' conferences over the years in my reporting days, to know that they hate two-tier systems. Rightly, the ASTI and the INTO in their own... And the TUI is now warning against a two-tier system. Certain teachers doing the same job to the same standard for the same number of years would be paid at different rates. Yes, well, that's always something that's going to be a big major problem for us, and we'll always do what we can to... Uh, to combat this and to try to rectify it. Okay. So this is what unfortunately uh, is happening here, and the uh, you know the government essentially is uh, standing over this. It's, it seems to be allowing the beginnings of the fragmentation of the sector, and it's only a, a new sector, of course. It's only 
um, you know, the first uh, technology university is only there since uh, 2019, yeah. and uh, NTU is only in existence since 2021. So it's early days. I think it's important that you know, we're absolutely committed in TUI to uh, the, the TU sector being very strong, and you know, we want to have you know, we want things to, to run in orderly fashion. We want to have our national agreements, and you know, we want to produce, uh, we want to provide the best service possible to our students. So where might where might this lead this this demonstration today? Well, let's see. We did have a ballot for industrial action on this very issue uh, just last month, and uh, we had a. And this, I should uh, just stress that this is a national uh, uh, ballot and a national protest. It's happening sure. not just in MTU, but it's happening in all the uh, technology okay. universities in the country, as well as in the. Let's not forget also the two institutes of technology of uh, in Dundalk and IDT in Dunleary. They're also part of this. Um, so, um, anyway, so we did have this ballot for industrial action last month. We got 90, um, 92% uh, voting in favour of industrial action on this very issue. Now, the hope, of course, is that um, we won't actually need to engage in industrial action, uh, but this is, we're having a protest on this issue. The hope, of course, is that um, the government, uh, you know, the Department of Further and Higher Education will uh, have meaningful talks with the union and we might uh, come to some suitable resolution, essentially that they would agree with us on the uh, new pay scales and uh, grading and, you know, that we can okay. together, I guess, produce a strong sector, but that's not the way, unfortunately, that the uh, department has been behaving so far. Okay. Would students be affected by today's protest? No, absolutely not. No. Indeed, we informed the Students' Union and uh, invited uh, students to join us on, on the, the protest if they're available. We wouldn't want them to miss their classes, but we, w- we certainly won't be missing classes ourselves. There'll be no okay. disruption to the service to students. Like could that, could students that happen in future if you're not listened to? I'm sorry? Could it happen in future if demonstrations like today don't succeed? Um, well, we'll have to consider options and just see what kind of um, industrial action we'll need to, uh, if, if we don't get uh, resolution at this point, but obviously we'd be very concerned not to disrupt students. We'd, we'd um, we, you know, we, we're very mindful of our, our members are committed to um, providing su- service okay. to students. They're the reason we get out of bed in the morning, okay. potentially. So um, okay. we would be very slow to do anything which would uh, disrupt um, or inconvenience students. Okay, leave it there. So thank you, uh, Shane. Shane O'Rourke is a Teachers Union of Ireland rep at uh, MTU. So there you go. I look, industrial relations difficulties can be hard to understand at the best of times but we've had it with the primary teachers we've had it with the secondary teachers they don't like the idea of teacher A and teacher B in two separate classrooms every bit is experienced, every bit is qualified but because of when they joined they were on different pay scales they don't like that, they didn't like it in the ASTI, the secondary teachers, they don't like it in the INTO, the national teachers and now in that particular sector, third level sector, TUI don't like it either. And it's hard to blame them, I suppose. We'll follow that one up. 0818 96 96 96. On the subject of whether or not when one qualifies as a doctor and having gone through the university just paying a registration fee, should you owe the country a little bit, owe the public service a couple of years? I was making the point this morning that if you, if the ar- the army, for example, the air corps train you as a pilot, you have to give them a few years. If the army trains you as an en- train you as an engineer, you have to give them a few years. Uh, I'm also thinking of other professions where you're expected to give a few. If, you, if the ESB 
train you as an electrician, which they will. I think you have to give them a few years as well. Tom says, I think this is a bit of a smokescreen, though, for not enough recruitment. The correct comparison is apprenticeships. You have no obligation to anyone once you get your ticket. Like a lot of doctors, a lot of apprenticeships go abroad too at the start to get experience about things that might be relatively uncommon in Ireland and let's face it, to enjoy themselves and see the world. Why should anyone else be any different? I was an apprentice myself, says says Tom. Yeah, lots of apprentices finished. And you're right, you get your ticket, as they say, at the end of an apprenticeship. You have no obligation to anybody. Now, a lot of workers, and a lot of time, I knew fellas in my day who were apprentices, apprentices, they did their time, they got their ticket, got their cards, they stayed on for a year or two, and then went somewhere else. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know, would you, should you have to give something back? Kate says, while there are countries like Italy that require you to work after graduation, let's not forget that a lot of the other countries don't have student grants or free tuition. They have loans that must be repaid. Yeah, that's the thing we don't have in this country. We don't have massive student loans that must be repaid. I'm not making it out that getting educated in Ireland is cheap, by the way. It's not. But it's cheaper. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than America. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than the UK. Anyway, you can go down that particular road if you want to. On people leaving this country and taking their skills to the four corners of the globe. As you know, it's deeply personal to me. At the moment, with uh, with my daughter starting her new job in in Melbourne next Monday, in uh, a veterinary clinic out there, and one of the specific things she wanted to do uh, when she moved abroad for the year is learn more about emergency veterinary medicine. And she's got a job in a fantastic clinic in Melbourne that specialises just in emergency medicine. And Michael, you're kind of making me a tad worried, although I think she'll come home for her dogs and her cats, but Brian says the late great spoofer, good man the late great spoofer, Brian Lenehan Sr. said, it's good for young graduates to emigrate to get technical experience so they can return and enhance the Irish workforce and economy uh, my daughter in Australia and my son who are in London haven't a notion of it yeah yeah, that's that's the thing there's so many. There's twenty two thousand young people in Australia at the moment on these one stroke two year visas. You have to wonder what proportion of them will come home. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. Thank you, thank you, Brian. thank you, Michael. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining, and mattresses. Over forty five years in business. TheFurnitureCentre.ie. There's a demonstration. There's a group had headed, in fact, to uh, Leinster House today to hand in a whopping great petition with nearly fifteen thousand signatures on it about Middleton and East Cork flood protection and the need for something to be done and done quickly, particularly for Middleton. It's a story in the Echo that says repairing the damage caused by Storm Babette uh, to local and regional roads and bridges by the County Council will take up to two years and cost nearly 55 million euro 
above and beyond its annual road budget. That's the one story. And as that settles in, um, we spoke before, actually, to the Middleton and East Cork Flood Protection Group. There's 15 of them gone to Leinster House today. And at one o'clock, they will present this petition, which has nearly, it has 14,700, as good as Amit, near to 15,000 signatures. Because there's been a plan in place for a flood defence for Middleton since 2010. And still nothing. And the people are living in fear. We've talked before with Mona Stramso, who is a member of that group. In fact, she's the chair of the Middleton and East Cork Flood Protection Group. Mona, like, been waiting that long and living in fear of the next winter and the next set of storms. You're, you're at the end of your tether. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having on, PJ. Uh, we are really, you know, enough is enough. Um, we are being told that we have to wait for this flood defence system, which will be another nine to ten years before that's actually built. Um, that was confirmed by Cork County Council as recently as last November and by the Minister for the OPW back in maybe January. Um, so so this, was, this is the one, and this is the one, sorry now, I may get this right here. This yeah. is the one that is on the table since 2010. Well, it has been revived since the one that, but it has never ever gone for planning permission. Okay, so twenty ten. Twenty ten was a smaller one, right? And you're saying it'll be another ten years? Yes. So it'll be at least another two years before they even apply for planning permission. Okay. So it's Q four, twenty twenty five before they apply for planning permission, and then they expect objections, which would be normal, um, because there would be a lot of landowners impacted by it. And it, by the time they get through all of that, then it goes out to tender and then they have to get the builders to do it. So it's going to be nine to ten years. Um, but we have been given, over the years, we've been given various dates and none of them have come off. When you and think- the thing is, there are a lot of interim measures that could happen yeah. that would mitigate very much um, the flooding that happened in October Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, people's lives were absolutely devastated, PJ, and they are still trying to push their homes and their businesses back together. It's it's just horrendous. Yeah. Are they getting so, the assistance that they were promised at the time? Well, not as you would think. Um, so for the homeowners, do you mean the, the um, funding from the government? Yeah, humanitarian fund. To help put the, yeah, so the humanitarian fund is means-tested. Um, and... They were told they had to get uh, two estimates from builders, which is understandable. They also had nine pages of a document to fill in. They had to supply bank statements, pay slips, the usual when you do when you apply for anything government related and other things. So they were told that the um, the compensation would be based on what their estimates would be. But as it turned out, it wasn't. So we have people who, for example, had estimates from their builders of in or around 60,000. Some are higher, 70,000, 80,000. And they were offered a total of 33,000 um, from the Humanitarian Aid Fund. But that wouldn't be paid in full until all the work was completed and receipts were submitted. So they got to pay so, up front before they get a penny back? Yes. Now, in some cases, they do get interim payments. Uh, because they can't afford to do the work. Uh, you know, a lot of these are, who's got kind of 60 grand hanging around in a bank account? Okay. A lot okay. of these people are young families or elderly people who are retired 
you know, a variety of different people this has impacted. And so they ha- some have gotten interim payments, some haven't had anything yet. Um, and, I, you know, I believe that it shouldn't be. These people could not get flood insurance. Yeah. So they had no choice but to go without. And so that's another thing, really, that should be looked at by the government, is that if the insurance companies won't provide insurance, can the government subsidise it somehow better than what they're doing now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And after your property has been flooded and lives are at risk when this happens, and there were a lot of near misses in October... Are you in the right state of mind to have to jump through hoops to try and get this funding to put your house back together? Yeah. And four months later, people are still, in a lot of cases, PJ, this is not one or two people, in a lot of cases, still living on a building site. Yeah, and will be for a while. And, and if you have to get the money together to, um, to, to, to pay up front before you get yes. anything back from the government, that's going to put people into into a lot of financial difficulty. I mean, fine, you might have a friendly credit union that'll look after you, but not everybody has that even. No, no and not, not very often for that kind of debt, PJ, because, True. you know, if you're still paying off a mortgage, which is a chunk of money, um, and then you have to borrow another sixty or 70000 it's very hard to access that kind of funding on a normal salary. Um, and even to be able to make the repayments on a monthly basis. The, the financial stress involved is just huge. Uh, the mental health issues around this, the fear from the flooding, and then the financial situation and living in the circumstances that they're living in, it's, it's just unthinkable, really, and not acceptable. And the priority from the government should be to make sure this does not happen again. And that's what we're here in Kildare Street for today. Now, we have an invitation into the Dáil. Um, we're arriving a bit early just to do a little bit of um, a demonstration. Oh, well, not even a demonstration, I wouldn't call it that, but we do have a little banner and we are meeting a few people from the press. But we have been invited inside to present the petition to some of the TDs. Um, and as you mentioned, it's nearly 15,000 signatures. Um, as recently as yesterday, I was getting more in the door from people. Um you know, there's there's huge need and support from the people in East Cork. And a lot of people don't understand because they see the pictures of Middleton Main Street. This is Middleton, Mogili, Killa, Castle Martyr, Cartoon, Whitegate, yeah. loads of areas. It's a huge catchment area in East Cork that's been impacted. Yeah. And not for the first time in many cases. Not for the first time. And like you said, people on building sites, li- literally living on a building site, struggling yes. through and then hopefully the work will get done but if it doesn't if they can't all get the work done you're then facing into and God knows we might not even be out of storm season yet, we hope that we are we sincerely hope that we are but it mm-hmm. will be back Yeah, it will be back people, people mustn't be sleeping Mona at the side at, at, the, at the sound of, of wind and rain now No, they're not. And, you know, since October, there have been several threats of flooding um, in different areas where the rivers have been very, very high. And we only had that discussion actually coming up on the train this morning about how people are are afraid to sleep at night when the rain is heavy. Um, And in general, their sleep has been interrupted because they're just, they're stressed. And in general, and and then the the county council is saying... And look, it probably has its reasons, but the county council is saying it'll be 10 years before we can guarantee you 
a peaceful night's sleep. In other words, before we can do anything to... Because we know that it works when it's done right. We know it worked in Bandon. We know it's worked in Skib. We know it's worked in Clonakilty, for example. Yeah. It worked when it's yes. done right. Uh, it did, absolutely. But we can't wait 10 years. Now, they were waiting a long time in those areas as well, but we've been waiting too long. And our floods are getting worse all the time. We have climate change as part of it, but there are certainly other issues around it that could be done. And we have... We have a list of interim measures that we've had. We've spoken to engineers about that could be done immediately, PJ. Yeah. And um, we did suggest some to the Cork County Council back in November at a meeting in the Middleton Park Hotel, and they were evasive about it. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I believe they have put in river gauges um, around Middleton, but... Really, that's not, there's no protection in that. You can watch it and you might have a bit of a warning, but there's no protection and we need protection. Like if these people put their homes back together and if the business people get their businesses back up and running, what's to say this won't happen again next Uh, month? There's another thing. Yeah, Mona, like you could have the best builder in the world do a wonderful job. Let's imagine we get some weather that will be conducive to building in, in the summertime and everything is... Tickety-boo, hunky-dory. Let's even imagine some people get their finances sorted out. And then in October, Babbitt's baby sister comes along and does it all again. Exactly. And that's a real fear for people. Or even worse, Babbitt's big sister. Yeah. You know, the last last big flood. We've had flooding since 2015. But the last big flood in 2015, this one in 23 was an awful lot worse. Uh, so the next one could be worse again. Oh God. There's a terrible fear there, PJ. I really. imagine there um, is. It doesn't... And it can be, it can be fixed. This could, is the thing. It can be. All right, Mona, listen, we wish you well with that. We'll check in from time to time. Uh, the people of East Cork living in fear. And that petition of nearly 15,000 signatures says it all. Being presented at Leinster House today, Tuesday at one o'clock. And as Mona says, people are now not sleeping when they hear wind and rain and they don't know even if their houses and premises are fixed in time for next winter, next autumn, next winter, they don't know, will it all happen again? 0818-969696. All right, shall we do this? is your chance to win free money on Cork's 96FM. Okay. Now, this is worth a thousand euros. Simon started it yesterday. Nobody got it. Then Izzy didn't get a winner. Then this morning, Lorraine and Ross themselves couldn't get a winner for this. It's worth a thousand euro as we speak. What is left out here? If you could only see the dance moves that were being pulled out during that song. You're welcome. Dear and God. On the, on the get up, get up there, there was a bit too much <laughs> for my liking. Now, we've had twerking and dancing. Uh, neither of them were correct. Let me see. Let me go. One, two, blend three. Sarah Connolly, good morning. Morning, PJ. Don't tell me yet what you think it is. Would you like a thousand euro? Oh, I would like it. I'd say with everyone else in Cork, we're all doing the <laughs> what, It would what, be unreal. Yeah. What would you do with it? 
Oh, I'd have it spent before I got it. I'd say you would, yeah. Most of the rest <laughs> yeah. of us would the same thing. The same thing. Yeah. So, so I'm going to play this again, and then you give me your guess. You get one guess. I don't know. I don't even know at this stage what you're going to say. But let's let's don't tell me yet. Here it is. One more time. We need to find out what the missing word is here. If you could only see the dance moves that were being pulled out during that song. You're welcome. Dear and on God. The, on the get up, get up there, there's a bit too much <laughs> for my liking. Sarah, what did we bleep out? Oh, it's about eight different words now in my head, but I actually said something different when I was coming on. I was thinking in my head, but I'm actually going to go completely different now and I'm going to say trusting. You're not, are you? I am. Okay. I don't know what it is, but... Good Lord, could it be, could it be, could it be? If you could only see the dance moves that were being pulled out during that song. You're welcome. Dear and God. On the, on the get up, get there, there was a bit too much trusting for my <gasps> No way. Yes no way. way. Oh my God. Yes way. <laughs> oh my God. I'm actually <laughs> You had no, you just said that ah, to hell with it like. Oh my god! And I was literally—I was torn between three different words coming on. What were oh the other god. two? What were the other two? Shimmying. I was going to say first shimmying, and then I was saying trusting, and then I was thinking wiggling. Oh my god! Wiggle, wiggle, wiggling. Right. Wiggling. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh my god! I'm actually shaking. That's fantastic. Thousand euro is yours on the oh words. Oh my god! You reckon it'll be you know gone? What? I have two birthdays in March. We St. Patrick's Day, Mother's Day, Easter holidays, Easter camp. So we will genuinely have it spent, PJ. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Our latest winner on the word. A new game starts with Simon after midday today. After two, in fact. Simon will start a new game on the word on Cork's 96FM. The word we were looking for was trusting. I gotcha. Thank you. Sarah Connolly in Van Moyer. That's two winners in a row. I'll be sacked. That's it. Program here. Edited by Imro Hay. Produced and researched by Fergal Barry. All of your podcasts up ASAP. And we will talk to you tomorrow, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurniturecentre.ie. Cox 96 FM.